Hey everybody, right before the show, wanted to let you know we have an update to our Patreon. A brand new monthly movie podcast is available now for $10 and up patrons at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. You want to hear me and Bob talk all about Mask of the Phantasm? The best Batman movie of all time? You can hear all about that in our long, almost three hours long podcast, patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody, welcome to Talking Simpsons, where trying is the first step towards failure. I'm your host, Vicarious Living subscriber, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? <laughs> Henry Gilbert, and it gets easier every week. It really does. And who do we have on the line? I'm, I brought that wall from home, Adam Johnson. <laughs> and today's episode is Realty Bites. But there's the truth and the truth. Today's episode aired on December 7th, 1997, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real-world history. <gasps> oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby! Bob Bell, the first bozo, passes away at 75. McDonald's opens its first restaurant in the Arctic Circle in Finland to be closer to Santa Claus for Christmas time, and Goodwill Hunting debuts in theaters to service all them apples. Mm. So Bozo the Clown, important in American history and the history of clowning. Uh, but he's also important in the origins of Krusty because Bozo, he was a soul clown. And then there were regional Bozos that would spread their clowning across the country and host their own kitty cartoon shows. Yeah, put together all the cartoons and local ads they could. And, and uh, uh, former and future Simpsons showrunner Al Jean was sat on by a Bozo yes. as a child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the Goodwill Hunting, that was a that's an all right movie at the time. I mean, now to hear about it later, I've kind of I've I've soured on it a bit because Ben uh, Ben Affleck and the other guy Matt Damon Matt Damon How can you forget? They were very open about like we wrote this to be an Oscar winner. Like this is what when they it was very like cynically written as a vehicle for them to win Oscars, and they wrote the Robin Williams character specifically to win that uh, that actor in Oscar or whoever would play it. Uh, and then it worked. Then it's also hard to look back on it now because it's one of many Harvey Weinstein uh, Ooh, films yeah. as well, yes. I think I've never seen it and I've never, I passed the window where it was cool to see the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's, you, you didn't even want to see it because of its connection to Kevin Smith? No. I was. I mean, I was a Viewisk Universe fan, but that was too far for me. I wish that movie had won Best Picture because then Kevin Smith would be an Oscar winner as an executive producer on it. Oh, you're right. I think they were mad. So uh, more Viewisk Universe lore. We were both big Kevin Smith heads. Uh, right now he's making a new Jane Silent Bob movie. I've seen pictures. Come on. Uh, and I'm going to say I, w I would be against it, but he almost died. So let that man sure. do whatever he wants to do. Uh, he was mad. When they were filming Dogma, they won for Goodwill Hunting. Oh, that's right. An Oscar yeah. for something, right? Screenplay? Screenplay. They did, uh, they, they did not win acting Oscars. And things were pretty sour on the set because they did not thank Kevin Smith. And he was mad about that. Mm, so that. that's on the dogma commentary, uh. which I heard a lot when I was like 22 years old. <laughs> Commentaries were the first podcast. They, were, they really were. <laughs> Anyways, enough about Kevin Smith. On the line, we have Adam H. Johnson of the Citations Needed podcast. We've had his podcasting partner, Nima Shirazi, on before. We needed to complete the set, so he's here to talk about Realty Bites. Hello, Adam. Hi, how you doing? Good. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, Adam, we're both big fans of Citations Needed. It's one of our favorite political podcasts because it you guys are so well-researched and you have such interesting topics, but you're also two funny guys who have a lot of uh, pop culture knowledge that you sprinkle in as well. Thank you. Uh, I'm, <clears throat> I'm wildly insecure, so I need all the validation I can get. <laughs> uh, when the dopamine rush of Twitter validation isn't enough. Oh, I boy. I was going to say I you're... Your tweets are just pure fire. I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm, I'm an angry man. It's not a, a shtick. I actually am angry 24 hours a day. People are always surprised to learn. They're like, they're, they're like, you're just, you know, some people are different. They're like, you're like, they're like, you're just like you are in real life on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's <laughs> <who> I <am." laughs> and uh, one well, citations needed is already, I think the, I don't know who listens to it. Uh, who's like in power, but I swear when they started talking, when I started hearing like AOC say things that I've heard you say on the show, I'm like, boy, this feel it. I feel like it's you guys are changing the conversation. Yeah, it's hard to tell because we, you know, we we're, we're we are some we are derivative in many ways, right? We're not doing a ton of original thought. Mostly, it's we we do some original thought, but a lot of it's uh, a sort of curating and presenting in sort of moral terms a lot of these arguments that have been around for a long time. And I and I think that uh, to the extent to which you can, the, the show is obviously marketed to a certain demographic of like curious liberals who are sort of interested in like maybe more more uh, left wing sort of ideological content, and we sort of try to market it in a way that's palatable to that without being you know sort of overtly dogmatic or, or too lost in our own jargon i think to the extent to which we do sort of lobby your impressionable liberal um and even to some extent you could argue i would say your impressionable kind of vaguely uh embittered or sort of dispossessed uh even libertarian or or kind of like centrist yeah i think that's kind of what we try to do i i, I suppose and the, the goal is to sort of move the com- conversation right we we are fundamentally propagandists um <laughs> which which i think is, is sort of important to everyone in politics acknowledge the question is are you intellectually honest are you fair mm. Are you thorough? Are you, are you, or are you sort of, you know, kicking, kicking the ball on, uh, on the rough and I, or uh, on the, on the fairway? And I think that we try not to do that. Uh, like all left wingers, we like to make golf analogies, apparently. Um, but anyway, we, um, we, yeah, we've been, we've been doing it now for what a year and a half. We are on episode sixty nine. Uh, <laughs> which thankfully is a very light topic. Um, we didn't want to do like war crimes in Yemen episode 69. Uh, <laughs> so we have Ashley Feinberg on and we're just going to dunk on Republicans. Nice. Oh, good times. Yeah. Adam, though, what's your history with the, as a, as a Simpsons fan? Well, like every red blooded American, I, uh, I grew up watching The Simpsons. I was I, I'm old enough to remember when it was like edgy. Remember mm. that when it was like your parents wouldn't let you watch it because they they said hell and damn. But I don't know. I was a huge Simpsons fan growing up. I I, I practically had every episode memorized uh, up until season nine, and then I really I nine ten I stopped watching it. Then hmm. we got you just uh, under the wire. Yeah. Here, man. <laughs> No, it's actually it's actually funny, and and I also thought it was super convenient. You got me this episode because I I I've li- I like this episode. I've seen this episode many times before. And as I discussed offline, I'm I'm a I'm a huge uh, I'm a huge uh, fan of Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, and it's basically has about 10 different Glenn Gary references. Oh yeah. So that, that actually worked out well. You happened to pick this episode. It had a lot of the, a lot of the pop culture references I, I got, which was, uh, which was fortuitous. And your life is politics now. Do you think the Simpsons helped shape your worldview in any way? I'm actually somewhat critical of the Simpsons politics. Hmm, okay. Uh, I, I, but I'm also sort of a buzzkill. So um, <laughs> I, I think, I think they insert, and in fact, indeed in this episode at the end, oh, yeah. they insert kind of weird sort of right wing pot shots. I, I think they viewed that as like, you know, not, not to use this excuse, 
but they were a product of their time. And a lot of the writers, of course, were like Ivy League. They were. It was very sort of the mantra of comedy was always kind of take shots at all sides. I, I, I think they were not immune to that. But there's a lot of anti-union shots and anti-welfare shots that are sort of thrown in now and then. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, there's some yeah, great of course, vintage. Of they make fun of like the big billionaire, and they, you know, all, they, 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 you know, their cop is like a bumbling idiot who's like corrupt and fat, and like they're not overtly right wing, but I, you know, there, there's a joke at the end of this episode that we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, there's, there's some great like vintage '90s centrism, and it's very mm. rare when it's not everybody gets it. Like I think maybe much a poo about nothing is one of the rare cases in which they have one direct argument they don't try to undercut. The vegetarian one is actually, you know, I'm not a vegetarian anymore, but I was for five years, and I'm, and I'm, I'm only not a vegetarian because I'm morally weak. I actually am a sort of, I actually think it makes a lot of rational sense. <laughs> I thought the vegetarian episode was actually one of the only mainstream, mainstream, like sensitive pro-vegetarian, pro-animal rights arguments in pop culture that really went against the trend at the time. Um, you know, the, it, it was it, it, the, the edgiest joke you could make, and even today you can make is like, lol, vegans, they're the worst. And it's like, oh, wow, like that's, wow, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are really punching up going after vegans. No one's ever done that before. Uh, you know, South Park, they all have vaginas, so forth. But I thought the way they handled Lisa's vegetarianism was actually pretty uh, fair and mature. And yeah. yeah, I guess the meanest joke was that like the alternatives to meat don't taste very good. Mm-hmm. That's as far as they'll go, and they're more unhealthy yeah. for you somehow. They yeah. price the fat. As, as yeah, which uh, which which in the '90s was true. Vegetarian food in the, has gotten much better. Oh, uh, it's so good now. Yeah, uh, I was a vegan for five years from 2003 to 2008, and I would try I try vegetarian food now, and it was. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite, it's much better than when I was. <laughs> they can make anything into a hamburger. I'm a vegetarian, by the way. They can make sunflowers into a hamburger. They can make uh, mushroom protein into a hamburger. You name it, it could be a burger. The, the, the Another very political episode The Simpsons had was the Watergate one, the Sideshow Bob Roberts. Like, that one is, I mean, the Democrats get it a little bit, but... The Republicans are an evil group run with vampires oh, yeah. on it. Like, yeah. But, the thing, but then, the, the, then I think that sort of, you know, I don't know, to me, and perhaps I'm being ungenerous, but that sort of goes to the, goes over the other side to being like, oh, this is like a sort of parody of how people review Republicans. Hmm. Although it's not, it's probably way more accurate than. <laughs> that is true. And it's like, it's sort of, you know, it's not really, the, the, I think the satire is kind of caught up with it. I look at a photo of Sheldon Adelson. He is Ooh, a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, I guess one last pre-show topic is uh, Lionel Hutch. Should we cover that now? Or yeah, when we get to him? This yeah. is uh, the final appearance. Yeah. The final speaking role. And I was about to ask what, if, when, when was Phil Hartman uh, killed? He was killed in <laughs> 1998. May of 98. Yes. May of 98. And I'm sure we'll have like a special or something, a little bit we'll do when we get to the time period where in which he is dead but so yeah yeah i mean he he dies a couple weeks after the season finale of season nine and his final appearance on the show is as troy mcclure in bart the mother in season 10 a posthumous appearance and it's only one posthumous appearance but this is the last appearance of lionel hutz which uh, it's very sad that we're he does have a non-speaking appearance in Lost Our Lisa at the end of this season, but this is the last time he speaks. Uh, and it's, it is a real bummer, like, that we are out of the Phil Hartman years. I just think yeah. of, like, when you think of the show going downhill, I feel like it would have been less so if they had uh, Phil Hartman around just to be funny in scenes. Like, just they could count on a Troy McClure scene to save. There's multiple episodes of, the of like, the classic years for us where on the commentaries they say... 
This part wasn't working until we had Troy McClure host this video. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Based on his appearance here, I feel like Mike Scully had different plans for Lionel Hutz in his run of shows where they were kind of tired of courtroom scenes. And you could see that in Lisa the Skeptic. They they avoid a courtroom scene immediately. instantly, yes. And I feel like they wanted him as like an everyman for sleazy jobs, to work in a sleazy job. This is just one of them. Previously, when he wasn't a lawyer, he was the babysitter. Yeah, uh, in Marge on the Lamb, so he can do other stuff, and I feel like he was uh, Scully was going to fit him in to different sleazy jobs, but obviously life got in the way of that decision, <sighs> yes, or lack thereof. Yes, lack uh, of yeah, life. Yeah, he, um, he, I mean, he, obviously, like he punches up everything he's in. I mean, he's a he's a fucking like you know he's a he's a comic genius, and they and they they clearly started to just jam him into like yeah any random job. You're right, there was a lot of courtroom scenes. Now that I think about it, there was a lot of courtroom scenes in the first eight seasons. <laughs> Also find it eerily tragic in this episode that uh, the murder house and this famous murder and it's and right. hear him say yeah. murder. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I'm completely unintentional, but that's what's eerie about it. It's yeah, just, it, it makes it a little harder to go back to in that regard. This also is episode is kind of like an unintentional passing of the torch to Gil because the first appearance of Gil, Gil takes on a lot of huts or Phil Hartman character type jobs uh, and so it's almost like they would have known that Gil would be taking over all these scenes that Hutz once would have been in that then they have them in the same scene as like yeah. a handoff he's got all the desperation under the false bravado of Hutz mm. well this uh, this episode too it feels like one of those stealth pilots that you see on other TV shows if you like while you where you wonder why in this episode of Seinfeld are they hanging out in a a garage or a car sales place the entire time or there's an episode of the nanny where they spend the entire episode at a beauty salon oh yeah and it or, just uh, it, here's al bundy's friend yes, you've never yeah. seen before all these stealth pilots so the creation of so many like new characters and setting up this office it it has the spirit the red blazer this feels like it's pitching a red blazer realty spin-off show my all-time favorite backdoor pilot was walker texas ranger sons of thunder oh um so i grew up i grew up in texas and i have i, I had a very christian grandmother we, we we were with her every saturday night we could only watch walker texas ranger <laughs> oh, no. and uh and touch by an angel there was like it was like a christian programming lineup on saturday night like Walker was like the last one. It was like kind of violent, but always had these like very conservative themes. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, they have they have the most contrived backdoor pilot ever, where they tried to show the, start this show called Sons of Thunder about these like two young Texas cops, and they just like come in and like inexplicably take the show over for two episodes. <laughs> and like when like Walker's, you know, like you know, like a, like like modern day Seagal movies, like like Seagal doesn't actually do the action anymore. They bring in some stud to do it, and he like sits there, but they need to like put him. They need to put him on the DVD cover, so he's yeah. like he's like there, but he has like one fight scene, and it's like he's literally sitting down and fighting people. There was a real um, like behind the desk era of Walker. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, and then so. They bring in Sons of Thunder, and they were like trying to make it a thing, and it was it was terrible. Oh. Anyway, I, I I I sadly also have. You guys want to start a Walker Texas Ranger podcast? I'm your guy. <laughs> oh. I think as I was starting to be more politically awake, and that was when I, my friends and I would like joke watch some Walker Texas Ranger. Oh and... no, it's the best irony watching you can do. I I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've irony watched probably like thirty or forty episodes. In wow, my, like, in my later years, it's so it's so fucking lazy, like. <laughs> It is the late, I actually, true story, I went to film school in Texas, hmm. and there was a gaffer I used to know, I forget his name, 
begins with a W. I forget. Anyway, and he would he would say that they had an expression on film sets in Texas, and this may be this may be bullshit, but he's what he told me. He said they would call it walkering it, like whenever you wanted to like do a shoot and you wanted to do it really fast and half ass it, you would you would walker it, <laughs> which, was like, which was like which was like high key lighting. Um, like, like lazy outdoor shoots, you know, everything in Dallas is shot like in the same winter months. So it always looks really drab and un visually uninteresting. And so like Walker was code for like, just getting a shot done really fast. Like that's how <laughs> half fast the show was, but it's like, it's super lazy. It's very racist. It's like, it, it's, it's sort of not, it's, it's, they recycle plots. The, the blonde DA, I forget her name. She gets kidnapped like 17 times a season. Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah, it's, I, it's, it's that last it's the last vestige of a sort of pre 24, like formulaic, like Matlock type show. You know, they would always have the tag at the end where they were at, C, C, you know, CD's bar. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just it's it's actually I think it's very good irony watching. I, I, yeah. I if you if you have a, a, a if you have some bourbon and some friends who are really sarcastic and, 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 and hate themselves. Do I <laughs> put, put it put it put it on and it's it's good shit. Yeah. And the best are the ones where he like they try to do this like Republican messaging, you know, because mm -hmm. like Kate Billy Hutchinson has been on, was on the show the senator from texas like uh, they would, and they would have like youth program like his solution to like crime is always to like bring in a bunch of like african-american and latino kids and like teach them karate and like condescend <laughs> to them anyway <laughs> one of my favorite uh endings of one that just it's politics came out of nowhere was uh he'd save the day but he was like convalescing in a hospital bed and then he said something like well one of these days these politicians will think more about the rights of the victims instead of the oh yeah perpetrators. No, they're obsessed with victims rights like that was it that, yeah they're, they're <laughs> obsessed with it but they have a uh and then they would every now and then they would do like the sort of token episode where they would take on like the kkk or the neo-nazis like every like once a season or once every two seasons you know this is back when like the republican party even cared about looking like they were yeah <laughs> like, like they would oh, never have era. that episode today. Yeah. But, he would like, but then it was always this weird thing where he would like, he would take these prison groups and they would have to, do, they would have to like take the white racists and then like the black prisoners and they would like learn to get along. And that was like the ending. <laughs> it ended. There's not a Walker, Texas Ranger podcast. No, but like now that. it is. It ended right before 9 11, though. That could have been a whole new phase for Walker, a whole new bunch yeah. of uh, bad guys for him to go after. Well, they did a, they did a Walker, Texas Ranger movie. Which oh, they no. Tried, which they, which they <laughs> it's pretty, it's, it's hilarious. They, they tried to make it look like CSI because it was like you know walker kept more or less kept its like early 80s or like like mid 80s aesthetic like it, like all, all the other shows tried to like catch up and make it more flashy and like take the camera off the tripod throw a little bleach <laughs> bypass on there you know but walker was like fuck it we're just gonna stay really drab our you know our, our average demographic is like 86 years old like this is fucking <laughs> don't change the formula you know if you move get the a, camera you'll scare them <laughs> yeah you get you get one decent action set piece a couple roundhouse kicks um anyway uh but they uh yeah they tried to do like a csi thing it was, it was really silly yeah, anyway. uh well so uh so this episode of the simpsons oh, right here, that's yes <laughs> uh no this begins with uh with a very funny moment of homer realizing uh he's not it's not really saturday uh, i love these lazy saturdays it's wednesday homer ah, work <sighs> i love these real saturdays they're so relaxing not like that fake Saturday that almost got me fired. Hmm. Is this all we're going to do today? Absolutely. You know, Homer, I'm starting to realize life is short. It is? We have to make the most of the time we have. We do? <laughs> Otherwise, we could wake up one day and realize we've wasted our whole lives. 
Oh, that. <laughs> Even if you want to be lazy, you still need to sit up to eat and drink. <laughs> I I think The Simpsons inspired me to try that a few times. Of like, You're still what alive. If, what if I don't even move my hands to put popcorn into my mouth? It'll just, the bowl, I can get the right size bowl, that I can level it on my chest and, get, and just... Stick it to my tongue and get it in there. It uh, it's it's a good lazy Saturday when you're doing nothing all Saturday. I will admit to last night eating a bowl of uh, cheese popcorn without my hands, just because like my hands are gonna get all cheesy. <laughs> yeah. I can eat like a horse. No one else is in this apartment with me. <laughs> the one thing I did want is that don't is that is the donut feeder that he had in hell. Oh mm. yeah, I would I would invest in that. I need more time <laughs> to chew though. That's but, true. But Marge yeah. is briefly reading Vicarious Living magazine, which you barely see and can barely read, and she picks up a different magazine later. So it's <laughs> a very quick joke that's just hard to see. I like the <laughs> I like the idea of vicarious living. Uh, I mean, have you ever had a uh, in your working life experience waking up and thinking it's a weekend and it's uh, I've had more the opposite of on a weekend waking up and thinking it's a work day and then realizing I was wrong. Well, the beauty of being a, a professional podcaster is you uh, <laughs> you you have no concept of the weekends. It's like that scene in Downton Abbey when she's like, "What is?" a weekend like i don't if you're rich you would have no concept of a weekend like mr burns weekend <laughs> right we're rich we're rich in time in that yeah. way yeah <laughs> as pro podcasters that rich I, in time but lo- uh, poor in life <laughs> i love homer's oh that reaction in that he he acknowledges yeah he's like oh yeah of course we all have the existential dread we've wasted our lives oh, anyway yeah. like back to the popcorn that homer does think about that it's just a thing that is in his the background of his mind you know i'm lucky that my husband and i we actually prefer doing nothing on a saturday like mm. that that is kind of our preferred saturday i uh i have a feeling like you have to do something on a saturday it's almost i prefer the feeling of redemption when you when like plans are canceled or a, a friend who is going to come over is like oh the baby did something can't make it i'm like oh nice the baby uh, did something <laughs> you, know, you know what i can't stand where do you guys live uh, uh berkeley, berkeley california Okay, you're in California, so you don't you don't you don't quite have this as much. But when you live in a place like Chicago, where I live, uh, or even New York City, when it's cold like 80% of the year, whenever there's like a really beautiful day, there's this really like oppressive social pressure to like do something outside. <laughs> and it's like I'm normally for that, but you know, some days it's like nice outside, but you kind of don't want to go do something, like go to the beach, go to the park. And then there's this weird social thing where people are like, what do you what do you mean you just want to stay home? And it's like I don't know, I don't <laughs> you know I don't want to contrive a fucking Levitra commercial where like I'm in a canoe and I'm fucking mountain climbing, like some. <laughs> I just want to stay home. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I get it. I mean, I grew up in Ohio and there were impulses like it's 43 degrees and it's March. Get your shorts we must, on. We mu- yeah, we have to like do something. Yeah. It's like, look, man, like I didn't get all this encyclopedic pop culture knowledge by going outside. All right. <laughs> um, let's be honest here. There's some really good animation in this bit, too, where as Marge is thinking about going outside, she walks to the window. I like the camera moves with her. She walks to the window and even goes through the window, which you can't do in live action. It's like, a nice touch. Yeah. We uh, we talk sometimes we say that how the animation to kind of goes down over uh, in quality as the series goes on, but this that was a really good camera move. Like Swinno Scott and his team on this one did a really good job. And there's a cool fight later. So the last episode was Lisa the skeptic. Both this one and that one start off with Homer getting a vehicle from the police <laughs> in some yeah. way, and one wow. is a trick. So that's... I confuse the openings for these two all the time. That's right. Yes, one is a fake police award, and the other is a real police auction. It is pretty funny that that's Homer's idea of a fun thing is to go to a police auction. Now, I've never been to one. Have Have you guys ever been to a police auction? 
I didn't even know about them until this episode. <laughs> I feel like I only see police auctions in movies. They in must TV be shows. real, right? Uh, I'm sure they're real, but I it's I just it's one of those things where I, I've never I've only seen it as like a device because if you need someone to get like a character to get something really cheap, that's like interesting. I guess you would go to a police auction. <laughs> well, there's definitely a lot of political motivations behind asset forfeiture and that uh, that whole policy in in some well, for some police precincts yes it's, uh usually usually like most uh actions done by the police rather racistly enforced too yeah they uh they uh, a, lot, a lot of county sheriffs have uh not all of them but some of them they'll even have a thing where they they use asset for uh, forfeiture for like general police expenditures and then those like, police expenditures will be used like on uh there's one ca- there's one sheriff in alabama who used it to buy himself a, a beach home um, ah, yeah. <laughs> those are the sort of more extreme versions of it but there are there's very little actual like standardization of of, of asset forfeiture and they they oftentimes will use the proceeds for like you know essentially it's for police stuff but then police stuff could be stretched to mean a lot of things pizza parties (laughs) yeah i mean they yeah they can do things like like have parties have events i don't Um, know guys i saw cops dabbing on twitter i think i like cops now (laughs) they're fun they're pretty cool yeah, I would say that the, 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 yeah, the Simpsons does have the most accurate portrayal of police, um, <laughs> uh, except, except they're not they're not racist. But other than that, they they uh, they got they got they got the basic gist down. I don't know. Um, I think Johnny D was profiled. <laughs> uh, but yes, no. Let's let's take a li- listen in on that police auction here. These prestigious wrought iron security gates are bulletproof, bombproof, and battering ram resistant. Now, then what happened to Johnny D? He forgot to lock them. Now, <laughs> what am I bed? Juan Kilo. Sound. Ay, 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 my gates. Ay, Johnny C gave me those. Tough break, amigo. <laughs> Next item up for beds. Oh, no. Oh, hey, look. They're selling you car, man. Boy, he's nice. Oh, I will totally kill whoever buys little Bandit. Sold! Woohoo! You bought a car without consulting me? I don't recall being consulted when you bought that hat. I found this hat. Uh-huh. Then what are you complaining about? You got yours. <laughs> so Wiggum is accepting drugs as payment for yeah, the gates. Very openly paid in kilos. <laughs> That's pretty good. This is Johnny D's only appearance in the show. Oh. He thought he'd, he should have entered into their regular uh, rotation of uh, Like uh, Jimmy drugs. the Scumbag. Yeah. Johnny Tight Lips. <laughs> and he has a nice chemistry with Snake. Like him and Snake should be hanging out more often, I think. Uh, that's obviously Hank Azaria. Right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. master of accents. Hank Azaria. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, 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 it's, they wouldn't do that today. That's interesting. Uh, they, would, they would pretty much do. They would pretty much do none of this today. There's a couple uh, of characters in this they wouldn't do today. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And we'll get to that other one. Is he like but, doing his birdcage character? Isn't that, close that voice? to it. Yeah, yeah Agador. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's also great little animation moments in this bit here too. Of like when Wiggum is talking about the doors, like you can see him look down at his notes oh, okay. and then look back up. Like there's there's nice characters character actions there that Although, they're thinking about. I was wondering where Marge's hair was going under that hat. It wasn't like pulled back or anything. <laughs> the hat's a little off there for her giant hair. Maybe that's why it flew off so easily. <laughs> it should have sprung off. Yeah. Like. And she found the hat, which is very sad. <laughs> it's, uh, it is very Picking sad. hats out I of the garbage. I feel very bad for Marge. Like Homer, this, I think I'll say this every season nine episode, but Homer's a real jerk in this one. He's a real jerk. He really, really is. Like he, it's great that they hide it in a cut because there is no way that the Simpsons 
citizens can't afford a car. So you can't have Homer actually say an amount of money for that car. You just have to cut to Homer having bought it. Yeah. Because they can't afford it. There's no way. So a little well, that's bandit. Why, that's, why, that's why you got to use the police auction gambit. <laughs> it's a yeah. nice device. Bought a house for $15. And you're like, okay. I guess that works. Or a factory for a dollar. Yeah. I mean, Wiggum would sell it for $15. That is true. He'd be that dumb. The Simpsons will be right back. If this was your podcast, you'd be home by now. Hi, everybody. It's Henry Gilbert. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Talking Simpsons. And we really thank our guest, Adam H. Johnson, for coming on. You guys should all listen to his Citations Needed podcast, especially if you like lefty politics like we do. And if you'd like to support this podcast on Patreon and get tons of extras, you can do that at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. When you join the Talking Simpsons network for just $5 a month, you get access not only to every episode of Talking Simpsons a week ahead of time and ad-free, and the same goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, but you get so many extras, starting with our brand new weekly mini-series that just began, Talking of the Hill, where me and Bob go through an entire season of King of the Hill, the first one, all 13 episodes, and you can only hear it if you're a $5 and up patron. Just sign up at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, and you'll get access to our previous mini-series, like Talking Critic, where we went through the entirety of The Critic in the same Talking Simpsons style, and the same goes for Talking Futurama, where we did the entire first season of Futurama the same way, too. You get all of that if you join the Talking Simpsons Network at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, and you'll get access to tons more bonuses, like our many original interviews we have done with folks who have been working on The Simpsons in some cases for more than three decades. That includes our most recent two from last month, Josh Weinstein, executive producer of season seven and eight of the simpsons as well as he worked on seasons four five and six and current uh, showrunner of disenchantment as well as jeff martin who worked on seasons two three and four and wrote some of your favorite songs from the series like the streetcar musical capital city and tons more both share tons of cool information that you can only hear about in our interview so please check all of that out at the five dollar and up level patreon.com slash talking simpsons you want to be as fancy as a red blazer realty red blazer then you need to up your patreon pledge to the premium level and check out what we have to offer for ten dollars a month you'll get access to our original what a cartoon movie podcast that we do on top of all the other podcasts me and bob go through a different animated feature film each month if you sign up at the ten dollar level right now you can hear the first four as well as marches when it comes out in at the by the end of this month those include batman mask of the phantasm kiki's delivery service akira and a goofy movie all of which you can listen to right now together they are more than 12 hours of podcasting content me and bob worked very very hard on you should check it out at patreon.com slash talking simpsons check it out today So Little Bandit is not uh, Snake's car from separate vocations. We checked. That car mm-hmm. has a roof. 
It is a new car. I think that will pop up again and again. It's in video games, too. But I love the decal. It's not just a rattlesnake. It's a rattlesnake with a gun. <laughs> it's a very, very nice joke. A snake's jumpsuit has... It has the episode code for his first episode appearance on his jumpsuit, Which one was too. that again? The War of the Simpsons. Oh, okay, got it, got two. it. That was his first appearance. And so I like... Uh, they, they have a nice little nod to him there. And apparently this was... Homer getting a car like this was because multiple Simpsons writers were going through like, uh, let's say early midlife crises crises, and they were buying expensive cars with their big time Simpsons money, which uh, I don't give a shit about cars, classic or otherwise. Like I I also haven't owned a car in uh, 14 years now. I don't. uh, Yeah. Well, they were all in LA and driving is everything. Think about yourself sitting in a nice car stuck in traffic for hours. (laughs) You guys guys don't need cars in Berkeley? We oh, do no, not, no. no. It's pretty nice. It is pretty I, I nice. Have, I haven't had a car in 12 years. Uh, I lived in New York for 10 years. I lived in Chicago for a year. Yeah, I haven't had a car, I haven't had a, car in a long time. That's one of those things I don't get. I can't I go back. I, I don't get the rich people with all the cars. <laughs> the, one, I, the one billionaire thing I would do is buy a sports team. Yeah, having a car is so necessary in pretty much every other... Yeah. In 99% of America, but... Where we live, like in LA, you can't, you have to have a car. You have There's, to have a car, yeah. yeah. Now, honestly, Chicago, you sort of kind of need one, uh, <laughs> but we, we make it work. <laughs> You've got the right. L, right? <laughs> Get you around. Yeah, but it's, it's like there's whole swaths of the city it just doesn't really go to. Mm. It's it's not like New York, uh, which is, I think, far more connected. Anyway, not to compare <laughs> people off. <laughs> in the San Francisco area, there's, there's the Bard and enough buses that, though, also me and Bob will sometimes just go, like, eh, screw it. Let's just take a lift. Let's just do it. Like, right. uh, where we there's no ethical consumption. We got we got to do something. Yeah, I don't. I'm not above the lift. Uh, <laughs> anyone that says they are is lying, or they have a car. So as uh, as they drive away, it is a great little hat spin. As as yeah. Marge's hair flies away there too, and uh, when they this is again like Homer is such like one such a dick here buying a car without if you're going to make a major purchase like that and you are married or in a long term relationship like that you do need to consult the other person unless unless you know a car purchase is somehow a small amount of money in your relationship which i don't think that's uh, likely <laughs> well i learned from those lexus commercials that you can you can unilaterally buy your wife a lexus and <laughs> as long as you put a big bow on it and wear a christmas sweater it's totally fine you're never like what the fuck is this yeah what demographic is that marketing towards <laughs> i like i i think it's uh, i think it's probably not mark i think it's just aspirational but the, yeah. the, the, the only demographic where that would apply has got to be like multi multi millionaires like <laughs> Because even like your average millionaire would just buy a Lexus without consulting their wife. Like that's not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it must or, be. Or maybe they're like weird Mormon relationships where the wife has no say in anything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Multi-millionaire Mormons. That's their Democrats. Lexus. <laughs> so, so Mitt Romney. And, uh, Basically. No exactly. And the Romney family. The Romneys. I bet, I bet Romney's done a few Lexus with the big bows in his time. <laughs> and um, then gave a very friendly hug to no, his No, no, no. A handshake. Oh, a handshake. A yes. firm <laughs> handshake. <laughs> Uh, but so yeah, Homer is being insanely reckless. Like this good stunt driving though. It, it is, but it's such like a dick move. Like I have, I have been with friends who t- obviously don't do cartoonish things like this, but. I'm the passenger in a car and like these are dumb high school friends. I'm like, you're driving too fast. So like, no, this is too fast. And they go 20 miles an hour faster. And like I, Homer is very unlikable to me in this sequence here of just being so reckless when Marge is screaming at him to stop. I don't know if there are seatbelts in this scene either. Uh, I mean, they're not in any other, they're not in a later scene. So yeah, I think it's seatbelt free. 
as as classic cars were when they were finally good when when it wasn't the nanny state with all their seatbelts. Yeah, before the liberals took over and made me not fly through the window. As Stupid enough. Ralph Nader <laughs> wanting me not to die as a child, <laughs> saving tens of thousands of lives in this time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, Marge gets out and uh, Homer just abandons her in the middle of nowhere. Like uh, he's just like, I love it. Like again, it's. They they are getting a lot of comedy out of Homer being awful. They they really are into that. Which it, I mean, it is funny, but I when you it makes him increasingly unlikable. Homer it is. But as Marge is is left behind, she she runs into her old buddy Lionel Hutz. I'm not getting back in this car until you drive like a sane person. Okay, bye. I love you. <laughs> You know, if you lived here, you'd be home by now. Mr. Hutz, I didn't know you sold real estate. You didn't? We should talk more often, Marge. You see, the law business is a little slow, and since most of my clients wind up losing their houses, this was a natural move for me. Mm-hmm. Helping people find homes. That must be really rewarding. Yes, the money is good. <laughs> but the beauty is you get to stay in the house until it's sold. Come on, guys. Let's go for a swim. <laughs> I guess the dogs are part of the house. It's a package deal. He just collects dogs. Like <laughs> He's like a hoarder with dogs, I think. That's Lionel's secret there. Uh, it must be hard to keep those red blazers clean of dog fur, I'd have to think. Lionel as a uh, real estate agent makes makes sense because they are also very shifty as well. Like a lawyer, it's all about lying. Yes, yeah. And uh, and and stealing money as well. I there's a great gag on his uh, that I only noticed in pausing for the first time here. It's like you'll go nuts for Lionel's huts. That's that's a funny gag. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's very cute. Uh, now, as a millennial living in the Bay Area, I have uh, never even thought about home ownership. Like it's just it's right, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also a millennial living in the Bay Area that never plans to have children. And you know what? You can't take it with you, that property. So I'll throw my money into that fire just to stay warm at night. <laughs> Give it to that landlord. Yeah. Um, childless, yuppie, California. You guys are like a Fox News. <laughs> oh, no. Come on. We are, we are the demons that keep up the boomers at night. Uh, I am a man of the people. Assault of the Earth, Chicago. Um, I hate the city. Um, all right. I'm kidding. I love it. Don't send me hate mail. It's very cold. I have to live here. <laughs> all right. Um, so, sorry. Yeah. No, I, I think the, the real estate uh, gag setup is good because it gets us to the inevitable Glenn Gary Glenn Ross setup. <laughs> and uh, I guess they like, there's certain, there's certain industries that are sort of shorthand for sleazy, like lawyer, real estate agent that they have to like jam Lionel Hutz into. Although, you, yeah, he said he was like, he was, yeah, he was a babysitter that one time, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. he was a drug addict. He was uh, he'd be a babysitter. Miguel that night. Sanchez. Yes, yeah. Drug dealer, keeper, aware. Yeah. Oh, he was an agent too. <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, that's actually, right. Yeah. Keeper aware. <laughs> it's a great little thing too when he's saying the dogs to come in with him that you see in the door to the house there are two dogs already in there waiting for him too like <laughs> that's he, right they ever do they ever revisit that gag like does he have a lot of dogs i never <laughs> no no that's it's weird just, it, it's just to show that he's like treating the house like shit okay. yeah <laughs> though yeah. swimming with the dogs in the pool lionel yeah. loving having all those dogs that's not there's no background for that with us i thought maybe there was some antecedent dog thing but <laughs> And uh, that Marge, Marge is just so innocent with reacting to Lionel too. Like, uh, oh, that's it's so nice. Like the money is good. Yes, she's she's not getting how uh, 
cutthroat and hard the uh, home the, the home selling world could be. She she's Marge is a bit innocent here. Yeah, owning a car or owning a house, just nothing. This I am a complete outsider on the subject of this episode. I've heard from people the uh, so we live in apartments uh, because we are evil millennials who will never grow up. But people I know that have moved from apartments to houses saying, you know what, it's time to grow up. I'm gonna you know have a family, get a house. They end up telling me, like, it's just as expensive. Like, Mm. the money you save on renting, you spend on everything else, like property taxes, maintenance. uh, You have to do things like upkeep on your lawn. It just, it's, you're screwed no matter what. If you want to live in America, it it sucks no matter what. Well, I I briefly thought maybe about getting, about trying to buy a house because I'm, 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 I'm getting married in October. I'm not married yet. But like, Chicago as a market is actually like, not unreasonable it's not like new york or 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 the bay area right but everyone i've talked to says don't do it because you know your mortgage payments are roughly that the same as a as rent you know you're not paying more really except for the down payment but you know then you then you're tied to the property for you know who knows how long the the market can tank so forth so i ask around and a lot of most of the homeowners i talk to say don't do it it's not worth it Mm -hmm. um and i made a deal with my my fiance that we were never going to live in the suburbs ever she refuses to live in the suburbs like (laughs) Like I'm, I'm That's sort a of not pro suburbs, but I'm not like I'm like whatever, not gonna happen. She's it's you know it's it's not gonna happen. So like if you if I wanted to buy something, it would have to be you know on the on the more expensive side. So it's probably not gonna happen because let's be honest, uh, podcasting is not the most lucrative industry. <laughs> but it's but it beats the hell of real work. But the point I'm making is that like uh, every I, I'm constantly looking for like apartments to rent in Chicago, and uh, it's a huge pain in the ass, and they're all scumbags. Mm. You know, if you if I bet if you guys submitted your podcast like the Heritage Foundation, or that, <laughs> I think you guys have a t- shot at that house. You know, I got to tell you, man, being being a right wing <laughs> grifter is the easiest fucking job in the world. I know, right? And if I did, if I didn't have any, if I didn't have like the tiny little slice of soul that I have, I I would have gone that or making Christian movies. Because <laughs> um, you know, like the, the the way like the Christian movie si- the system works is they, it's built on like free labor, like all those Kirk Cameron movies, like uh, Fireproof Left Behind. They use like church labor, and then they and the company the the Pure Flicks or whatever, like they make they make they make so much money, and they just wow. pump out these shitty Christian movies every five minutes. Excellent God. grift. That uh, well, being like a libertarian provocateur, you some the Mercers or Cokes will just basically pay you two hundred thousand dollars a year to like tell you know tell people to stop being snowflakes. Or I guess the downside is you have to live with yourself, but it, more money yeah. would help with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what I was, that's what I thought. I thought maybe, you know, you you know, you could just get like a really awesome uh, drug, uh, you know, addiction, uh, something really cool and expensive, like one of those really exotic cocktails that like, you know, Elvis was on where it's like, <laughs> amphetamines and downers and you like, you don't have to deal with your demons because you're just fucking high all the time. And then you have a die of a heart attack when you're like 52, but who cares? Because whatever. <laughs> so look out Joe Rogan. Yeah. Uh, no, he's on DMT, man. He's going to outlive all of us. He's one of, well, he's one of those guys who's obsessed with living forever. Like, no, I'm the one who's going to live forever. Like, yes. yes My third eye is open, baby. <laughs> well, like, you could also, yeah, you could do the Rogan route where you're not overtly a right winger, but you're just a huge gatekeeper and a gateway drug for right wingers. <laughs> you just uh, like interesting conversations. That's all. And yeah. mixed martial arts. Yes, yes. Yeah. Fighting yeah. and logic together at last. Uh, <laughs> you could beat people up and you really like to have Jordan Peterson come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so, so uh, as Marge is entering into the world of homeownership and selling, Homer is showing off his car to Mo and Mo's never really been a gearhead ever since this. Like this is just like a one-off scene that Mo knows anything about cars. No, the two the first two things he names are real. You don't need to know mm-hmm. what they are. They're real. Yes. So they're actually real things. <laughs> uh I yeah six pack holly car but an Edelbrock those those are real things. 
Uh, but Meyerhoff Lifter is not so real. I though I I did identify with this scene just a little bit with with Homer in his I see of like I have taken the gamble of when a friend would say, "Have you seen this movie?" and I go like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I have." And they're like. Um, what about this scene? Yes, that's not in the movie. I see. I like how he doesn't change his affect, though. He's still kind of cocky, you know, <laughs> laid back and cocky. I, I got to tell you, I think this this joke right here is the is probably the what, top three Simpsons joke I always remember because every time I hear someone talk about cars, I think of that scene. I wouldn't, know, <laughs> I wouldn't know the first goddamn thing about it. And I'm always like, I'm like, yep, that's right. Six point blaster facilitator. Like I don't know. I don't know what's going on in there. I don't. I don't. That's not my thing. I want. I want to though. I want to be more handymanish and more daddish. You know. Mm-hmm. You ever go through this? You ever go through this phase? How old you guys are? What? You're mid thirties. Mid thirties. Yeah. yeah. Okay. When you, you get to a certain age, you sort of want to be more competent at those things. Um, or at least I do. I don't know. I bought the IKEA toolkit. I'm ready. Yeah, and so I, I try to do more home improvement stuff around the apartment. It doesn't. It's always a fucking disaster. Yeah. <laughs> when I, can... I I actually want to take. I'm gonna try to take classes though, because you know I mm. we're trying to have kids. You know I gotta become a dad. I gotta like I have some sort of dad like qualities. I gotta like be able to you know do things like now and then. Not not to be too heteronormative, but like you know <laughs> I wanna I wanna be able to fix things. You know so forth mm. without having to call someone. That's something that I think one should try to do. And I I like I got nothing. I can't. I know shit about cars. I don't know anything about. I don't know how to fix things. It's bad. I need to I need to learn those things. <laughs> my my stance is I can edit a podcast. It's better than fixing a million toilets. <laughs> you know, I think we're braver than the Marines. It's true. <laughs> People should clap for us on planes. I think we should have our own our own our own Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> no, no physical movement or exercise either needed for that. No, no, no. Don't no. need don't need it. Don't need it. <laughs> uh, uh, because, uh, which is funny because like people make fun of gamers for being, you know, sitting around, which is true to some extent, but like a lot of like the top tier gamers, they're like they're like pretty good athletes, you know, because they keep mm-hmm. their mind sharp, they go work out. Not needed for podcasts actually no. uh, <laughs> well again like I think, I think most gamers could beat us up let's be honest <laughs> rogan <Yeah>. is <laughs> rogan is the buff podcaster yeah. though. he is he's, pretty jacked yeah and he's more yeah. popular than us so maybe he's on to something blood clots know. will kill us all he's way more popular than that. <laughs> right <laughs> uh but so we head back to the home his she's reading over her book she's decided she's gonna get a new job i wonder if a little of this plot came they don't say this on the commentary but i do wonder if a little of this plot came from just how the uh, very male Simpsons writer staff have wives who don't need to work, but then get a new job, and they kind of view their that ought, that sometimes are real estate, and they just view it as like, oh, cute, my wife has a has a little job or something. I wonder if it if it comes a little bit from mm. that. Well, the show is sort of vaguely feminist, right? This this, this episode, mm. it sort of tries to like acknowledge that you know she's taking for granted and that she has more to offer. But it, yeah, you're right; it mostly just sort of uses it for a gag. They um, definitely, I mean, the in future episodes, nobody who wrote on this episode, but Matt Selman in on commentaries jokes about supporting his wife's like restaurant. He's just like, eh, my wife in a restaurant. seems very <laughs> resentful about it in a way that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe they're just assholes. I don't know. Maybe they're just so chauvinist. It seems like at first you think, okay, because I, re- I was thinking about that. I was thinking what the sort of feminist read is on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I don't want to do the thing where a guy explains feminism, but I was like, <laughs> Okay, that's kind of you know she wants to go out in her own doing thing and sort of assert herself, but then at the end she she just goes back to being housewife and it's like that's the gag. Uh, but they did make a shot about you know how they take her for granted and you know Homer's like you know now you can clear the plates. Yes, yeah. Now that they all they all see her as just like some wuss who's just some mom. But I mean, the thing again, if she doesn't know what a dwelling is, that does seem like she's maybe a little underprepared for this. Uh, but yes, the the kids are going to help her out, and I this is a cute scene. It's very right? cute. Yes. So you're married and you're looking for your first house, Mister and Missus Superman. 
Don't listen to my husband. He's just an idiot. Now, I'm a veterinarian, and I need to keep lots of sick animals in my house. Is that permitted? Not in my damn house. Well, this neighborhood is zoned R3, which allows dogs, cats, phone-answering monkeys, and... Oh, I'll never memorize all this. When I had to learn about the Magna Carta, I made up a song. <laughs> in 1215 at Runnymede, doo-da, doo-da, the nobles and the king agreed, oh, do doo da day. We should have lived together first. On the closing day, <laughs> the escrow agents paid. Taxes, lends, and interest, too, thanks to Fannie Mae. They back your bank. You're all nuts. <laughs> I love Bart's line. Yeah. I'm a strong believer in that. Are people still uptight about that whole oh, cohabitation thing? First? Yeah. I, cohabitation, Henry. I don't think so. I, I don't think people are... Uh, uh, well, I I guess I don't have a really good measure for that because my, my mom already has to get used to like a gay relationship. So there's no, there's no normalness to that anyway. I'm a society. A society? I don't, I'm not sure. But that phone answering monkeys thing, I think that is uh, where... You know, they do that stuff where it feels like, oh, this will be a script later. It's like, the, the root of Mojo. I think that's the beginning of Mojo later yeah. to be seen in girly edition. Someone heard about a helper monkey, and they were ready to make that a B story. <laughs> it's pre- I mean, it's a funny idea. I It was a long time before I realized what Fannie Mae is. And I've never uh, I've never had to have a loan from Fannie Mae, so I'm very well, happy about that. They, they changed their name or something. Uh, do you know anything about this, Adam? Like, what is Fannie Mae now? Is it still Fannie Mae? I thought Fannie Mae went tits up at, during the recession. I thought they were, cause they they were basically like the, the government subsidized home home loan. Oh, okay. I think I think you're right. Yeah, there were there were there were there was mortgage backed securities. I know that they had a huge. Yeah, so they did get tits up, then they came back. Ah, okay. They're models. Yeah, they 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 do they they back. I think they're part of like a like a federally subsidized. Like they're like they're not public, but they're quasi public. Mm. That kind of underwrites mortgages, and they were I think they were one of the key players in the meltdown because mm. you know the, the the Bush administration was uh, and uh, Clinton as well, but there was this obsession with getting people to buy homes. That this was the thing that was gonna you know there's political upside to people buying homes. Uh, there's tons of studies will show you that people who buy homes are less likely to engage in, you know, subversive political activity. They're, less uh, likely to, they're more likely to pay their taxes. They're more likely to, you know, you can make a sort of generalized argument that it's good for the co- social cohesion of society, but generally uh, the, the government has always incentivized people to buy homes. And, uh, and then when you did that, uh, when, when the, when the government, uh, you know, uh, underwrote it and there was massive fraud and then and the economy tanked it wasn't such it wasn't the best idea in the world i only have student debt which i feel blessed that there's no other debt on top of that uh but like every two years it'll be like here's your new master we sold mm. your debt to someone else like <laughs> i had no say in this it doesn't matter make a new account on this website you're fine <laughs> this song bit too is fun for nerdy kids who grew up just doing like songs that you make up in the living room and sing to your yeah. parents and to usually uh, a father who is like uh, this is stupid. Why, why having uh, Lisa have a, n- a mnemonic device via song is a very dorky Lisa thing yes. too. <laughs> that that feels very on brand. Yeah. yeah, it feels definitely written by by people who attended Harvard. Definitely, I would think a lot of the, them had written those songs for all their tests. <laughs> and uh, they go to take the test, and that test taker is weird. He's just voiced weird. The, the, the test uh, giver, I the say. Proctor Henry, Yo, the sorry. Proctor <laughs> is actually. I love keeping track of these side characters that are unnamed. They're just background people that are occasionally used and voiced. 
Uh, he is the guy at the Hall of Records or whatever in Mother Simpson when Homer goes in to get his uh, oh, death certificate okay. revoked. Although he's voiced differently in that episode. Okay, so he's still a civil, yeah. civil servant then. Yeah. Okay. We see that Martin Prince's dad is taking that test, which would imply he's getting out <laughs> of the uh, the stock market and getting into home. He got so. greedy. <laughs> Uh, the the test taker's mouth movements are really weird there too. Like clearly there was a different line. I assume before, there was, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Marge passes, and the way she walks into the room with her past test also really reminds me of the framing of when Homer announces he passed his GED in the front. I was thinking like, of the same thing. Uh, there's several ep- uh, bits in here that feel like borrowed poses on the animation side, and uh, when Marge passes, this is a brief scene, but I love Homer's line here. Actually, it's great. Yeah. Mm-mm. <laughs> oh, thank you, Bart. Thank you, Lisa, for all your help. What about me? You didn't thank me. You didn't do anything. I like being thanked. <laughs> that is a great line. <laughs> I think a lot of dads feel like I liked being thanked is all the <laughs> is all the reasoning they need to be thanked. I mean, I went through this with my dad a little bit because my um as a kid, my when it was Christmas time or birthdays. It was my mom's job responsibility. Uh, it was certainly not an equal partnership from from my view of it, but it was my mom's responsibilities for birthdays or Christmas to get the presents for me and my brother. And eventually, as we got older, we knew she was the only one doing all the work. We were, we would, if we told our dad we wanted this for Christmas, it wouldn't get bought. We knew we had to tell mom. So when we get the gift. We would thank her, and my dad would be mad. It's like, hey, thank me. And uh, he was a very I like being thanked vibe. Though in his opinion, it was his money as well being spent on the gift, mm. which meant he a thank you was due. He is technically correct, Henry. <laughs> So when Marge goes into Red uh, Blazer Realty, it says they're the 6% commission people, which I don't really get that joke because when I looked it up, like 6% is apparently a standard commission for a realtor. So I'm not really sure what the gag is. Perhaps Maybe was- that's the joke. <laughs> that it's just that it's normal like, that, it, that, that it's not remarkable I don't know <laughs> interesting yeah Adam could be right I don't know if it was higher in the 90s but the joke could be they're not special it's true I, I was looking at le- them being not special is funny but it could also just be that like the current day house market things is completely incomparable to buying a house in 1997 yeah like there's there's no co- there's uh, th- this is a very Clinton era feeling of just like, oh, we'll buy a house. Everybody you were just driven. A, you're just given a house. The keys would show up in the mailbox, and like, oh, I'll go to my new house. But this is where Gil enters the picture, right? Yes, this is the bit I said really feels like a stealth pilot. Okay, because, uh, but yes, well, before we, we'll get into Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross roots here in a sec. But let's let's meet Red Blazer Realty. Welcome to the big leagues, Marge. There's over 50 years of real estate experience right in this room. And 42 of those years are gills. Marge, it's a real pleasure. You got any leads? I need some leads. Please help me. That's enough, (laughs) Gil. Don't drag her down with you. That's Cookie Kwan. She's number one on the west side. Hi, Marge. Stay off the west side. And there's Nick Callahan. A headset telephone? (laughs) I thought those only existed in the movies. Booyah! <laughs> Guess who sold the Whitman place? Hey, wait a minute. 
I've been working on the Whitman place for 21 years. So, number one, Gil mm-hmm. would become a major character, have episodes about him. By the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny to see how low-key he is here. He is, I mean, he is quietly a very desperate man. He feels more like of the Oakley and Weinstein era of uh, pathetic men than mm-hmm. later he would be living in a storage unit, valuing his hot plates, uh, being <laughs> just like... Like seconds away from be- homelessness, suicidal yeah. a lot of times too. Yeah, so Glenn uh, Gill's fall is very fast. <laughs> yeah, uh, and obviously Gill is based on Shelley the Machine Levine. Yes, Jack Lemmon's um, character, which they already had Jack Lemmon play basically that character yeah. in an episode the season right. before. But they they clearly are obsessed with this concept of Gill, which is sort of this like it's also sort of more of a generalized trope too, where it's where it's the the old washed up salesman who sort of way past his prime, but is. Because the character in Glengarry is the sort of heart of the story. He's so pathetic that you're just constantly when he's talking to Kevin Spacey and he's and he's like because there's a running bit in that uh, in that movie where he's he's trying to look after his he's he's trying to raise money for his daughter. His daughter's sick. Uh, that's what sort of motivates him. Mm. And then he says and then he turns to Kevin Spacey and Kevin Spacey. Spoiler alert. Uh, when Kevin Spacey finds out that Jack Lemmon stole the Glengarry leads. Jack Lemmon, who just gives this awesome performance. He looks at him right in the eye and says, but my daughter. And Kevin mm. Spacey says, fuck you. And it's the most mammoth. <laughs> exchange yeah, very much so yeah. ever but it's exact uh, it, but it's this constant like pitiful face of like my daughter like you know it's sort of gill is always like he's, he's just completely like out on his luck he, he didn't save any money for retirement oh well, that scene where he's trying he goes to that man's home and is trying to sell him on it yeah, just the flop uh, sweat uh, on him he's like oh well i talked to your wife he's like yes yeah my wife but like i really don't have time he's like oh hey well let's go get her together we can drive in my car his uh he's a he's trying his old razzle dazzle but it yeah. doesn't work it's- and uh both nick callahan and like Hutt are sort of playing the Alec Baldwin first scene character a bit because uh, like Nick Callahan is Alec Baldwin in his appearance, but then later uh, Lionel Hutt basically does the coffee is for closers thing with Marge. Mm-hmm. A mixed bag of, of, of Glengarry references. Um, 2004 uh, in college, we did canvassing for the John Kerry campaign, mm. which is where, where you go door to door and try to raise money and you'd make like a, a, a pittance. You make a little bit of money yourself. It was a job, but like really, it was kind of about you know. God, I can't believe I I did spend so much time trying to get John Kerry elected. God, who's a bigger <laughs> loser, John Kerry or Gill? Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> in, incidentally, it didn't end up working. But we were like obsessed with that movie. We would, we would constantly make references to like going out and closing and so forth. And it was just I was quite a Kerry booster in '04. It's just you had to do it. Like it was. What yeah, else no, were you going to do? Emergency situation. There wasn't. There was no Ralph Nader voting that year. All hands on deck. Yeah. <laughs> One character though that is a recurring character in this scene is Cookie Kwan. Which I do I do enjoy the jokes about her as a ruthless businesswoman, but it mm. kind of sucks that um, the one representative of Asian women on The Simpsons is this like dragon lady character, yeah, voiced by a white woman. I think I mean we talk a lot about Apu, but we don't really talk about Cookie Kwan. I guess she's not as as um, you know used as often as Apu no. Is. I mean she wasn't in the golden age of The Simpsons either, so that's that's also why she doesn't get as much chat. How often? How often does she come back later? A uh, bit, a bit. Fairly, like, I would say, like every like six to eight episodes after this, mm-hmm. she'll have a speaking part. Yeah, she's she's the, this character is obviously a very broad stereotype. Uh, I think too, like Tress McNeil is. She's I love Tress McNeil. She's great. She's she's doing a very broad, you know, Asian voice there too. And again, like you said, there are no other Asian women that really on this show other than like a Barney's girlfriend, yes. uh, Yoko Ono lookalike, yeah. <laughs> or or the hostess at the sushi restaurant. Yeah. Like, 
like that even she doesn't come back for another line. They give those lines to Akira. Uh, he's a hostess, the host yeah. later at the show. A- Asians are more or less just used as, as punchlines. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, and she's, uh, yeah, Dragon Lady's a good way of putting it, too. That I, she's just I very think later intense. she is like proudly childless. So she's not really a tiger mom. No, no. I mean, later. She has tiger mom instincts. I'll say that. Yes. Yeah. Well, her push to succeed, like it is very much the uh, model minority t- uh, yeah. stereotype, too, of just like uh, many Asian Americans feel a lot of like shitty pressure about like, no, yeah. see, you're the good minority to be used by racists to say to other minorities, why can't you be like them? Like, I think King of the Hill, even though the character is voiced by a white man, uh, Khan Supanusen Phone is a better exploration of that sort of trope. Uh, the very sort of ruthless uh, business person uh, living in America as an immigrant, like what mm. their life is like. It's not just the punchline. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. And uh, yeah, uh, Cookie Kwan, like her later appearances will be that she like she went to camp with Marge. Like she's in one of the flashback episodes. I believe in one episode she has a uh, offers up a three way with her sister to uh, to a character as well. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, they sell out every character. Yeah, she she's not alone in that. Nick Callahan doesn't come back as much as Gil and Cookie though. This is his. Only other appearance, uh, or his only appearance. Well, so Glengarry Glenn Ross, like as a film, it's, uh, I haven't watched it in a very long time. Uh, it feels like one of uh, those films like um, Wolf of Wall Street that uh, just, in, it feels like it's supposed to be a critique of these people, but then the real life assholes just love it. Well, yeah, so it's interesting. David Mamet was a huge influence of mine when I was when I was in college. I, I, I did playwriting for a while. I, that was mm. sort of my first thing I, I loved. And uh, he wrote a book called True and False, which is sort of a, a book ostensibly about acting and playwriting. But it's really sort of like self-helpy. And you, you realize you watch his like his his movies where that's always sort of very tough macho men doing tough macho things. I mean, Glenn Gary's an all male cast, right? All all white male cast. Mm-hmm. Every, you know, obviously lots of sort of verbal violence is sort of his thing. A lot of like fuck you. Uh, a lot of F-words, so forth. It's not surprising in retrospect that David Mamet himself became very right-wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Mamet was sort of supposedly doing this criticism of like hyper-capitalism in the 80s, and I'm sure he was coked out of his mind. <laughs> There's no way you write Glengarry when you're not on shitloads of booger sugar. <laughs> and so he he um and then later around 2008 2009 when he became like more of a hardcore arch like arch Zionist and very pro Israel and very pro Sarah Palin he became very conservative and it's you, you go back and you write you look at those works and and it's clear that a lot of what he's saying you know a lot of what the Alec Baldwin character is saying which is very sort of you know fascist right sort of I'm all about my watch I'm all about success you know I could go out there and make fifteen thousand dollars in two hours like uh which is sort of supposed to be this kind of critique of capitalism i I think it's on some level maybe some sort of subconscious uh tweaked out uh level i I think it's something that really mamet believes and if you read his books if you read uh his 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 life advice books they're very sort of hyper masculine hyper individualist um he seems very he seems very influenced by ayn rand funny in retrospect like how how glengarry is sort of seen as this satire but it's in many ways i i I don't think he's being too satirical i think he sort of likes the sort of the bloody competition of 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 masculine combat of 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 selling of selling real estate i knew something was up a little bit uh, probably too late when i uh, was watching a lot more movies i rented what was then his newest movie which was called edmund I don't know if you've seen that before. No, I haven't seen that one. I don't but, really watch uh, Mamet because he got so right wing. Yeah, I had no idea, but I was like, oh, David Mamet, the smart uh, writery guy. I should watch all of his movies. So that was the newest one, and I rented it. And uh, it's about William H. Macy's, this feckless white guy. And the entire plot is he goes to the city, and everything is scary. And that's basically the story. <laughs> like, it. everything is scary. <laughs> um, and that, that was it. So I was like, boy, I didn't like this. This felt made me feel very strange. 
Yeah, he 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 has a very specific. A lot of his movies are about yeah kidnapped white women. Uh, they're about like strong men doing like sort of forcing their will uh, on society. You know, it's 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 the kind of stuff that's very appealing to like a, you know a fifteen year old. Oh yeah. Uh, but, oh, um, actually, sorry. I just remember, I was looking at the plot summary. Uh, at some point in the movie, in the big city, this character is arrested and then he's sexually assaulted by a black person in prison. So oh, even it's got better. everything. Even better. Get the whole yeah, family he, in the he, room he, for Edmund. Uh, yeah, around the mid two thousands, he went he went pretty full fash. I, yeah, I'm not quite sure exactly when his uh, when his uh, his conversion happened, but he you know he was always very anti method. That was his whole thing. Hmm. He was, he, he he thought the method was kind of the the, the peak of kind of solipsistic liberalism, mm. and and did a lot to distract. And he's very he's he, you know he says actors are tools and their their job is to hit their lines and say their lines clearly and that uh, nobody nobody gives a shit what they think on the inside. Oh, um, which which I, I think he was responding to like a real kind of uh, uh, there there was you could argue there was a sort of hyper solipsism in a lot of acting methods, but I think he was he kind of took it too far into his his it became like a sort of life um it, it emerged from acting advice to sort of like occult because uh, <laughs> you know william h macy came from his 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 theater school uh, as as a lot of other actors did as well so it's it's um a little bit of a tangent not related to something sorry <laughs> no. Just a, little, a little david mamet color there for you we're all about tangents here i'm talking <laughs> well, yeah well i mean glenn gary glenn ross is a i mean now it's almost impossible to go back to if you are uh lefty just in that you know if you know what david mamet is and then on top of that you've got kevin spacey in a prominent role in it uh, not to mention like Alec Baldwin's pretty big piece of shit too. Like, uh, not, not like Kevin Spacey. It's not comparable in that way, but well, it's like, there's, you know, the toxicness of this real estate agent, uh, see, it doesn't really come through here. Uh, other Nick Callahan's the most of it. And he even, even he doesn't have many lines in it. Like Marge, Marge is never made to feel out of place. Like be by being a woman there so much, it just, I guess, well, I suppose when she's rejected for her inability to sell, that definitely feels like uh, girls can't sell. Uh, it, they don't have the killer instinct that a man would have to sell. Unless there's some broad Asian stereotype. Yes, yes. yeah. <laughs> who's, well, uh, one of the guys type, too. That is what Cookie is as well. I. Right. It's cute, too, that Marge thinks hands-free headsets are only in the movies. That's I like little mom moments like that. Yeah, that, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> so when they put on Marge's red blazer, I love her reaction to getting it. Like it's a the camera swing around her is is very sweet. Conference too. room C is very important, <laughs> and uh, Cookie's uh, gold tooth that's only visible in that one shot there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, here's here's her getting her first blazer. And now, Marge, I'd like to welcome you to the family with your very own red blazer. <gasps> From me. Oh, nice little spin around here. to uphold the principles and ideals this jacket represents. I give her a week. Are you guys talking about the West Side? No, Cookie, I swear it. I'm scared of you. <laughs> so that was a that was a Jerry Maguire reference. Oh, really? Uh, which which had come out the previous year. Yeah, I'll give him a week. Yeah. Oh, okay. Jay, uh, Jay, Jay, uh, Jay Moore says that when when uh, he comes in and does the the memo thing or whatever. I completely forgot that. Thank I you. I never watched that movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> good movie, actually. Yeah. It's dated, but it's a good screenplay. If I was teaching screenwriting, I would probably play that movie. People would watch that movie. It's 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 well done. It's probably the only. It's the only. I think Cameron Crowe movie that actually works. Mm. It's the only one where like, ta- he's, he's he's hit or miss, and he pretty much had one that kind of really worked, and then the rest are kind of doing 
weird versions of it and never quite hits. But um, I, I'm a fan of Jerry Maguire. I said it. I, 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 I went there. <laughs> it's one of the most human times Tom Cruise has appeared in a movie. Right. And I, Tom Cruise is, it, yeah, he's a very charismatic guy, but he, he always plays these kind of like, like <laughs> non-human entities. Because Tom Cruise is, is not human. <laughs> he's not. Tom Cruise is like the most intense fucking human being that's ever lived. And he's <laughs> the, the least self-aware human being on earth, which is I, what makes him a good actor because he's not self-aware at all. He's, no, he's not self-conscious. If if I was like Tom Cruise's like guru, I'd be like, Tom Cruise, you can jump off this roof. He would probably believe me. He would try, <laughs> try and he would die. I mean, he's approaching 60 and he refuses to admit that. Like, yeah. Dude, he, he taught himself to fly a fucking helicopter for Mission Impossible 7 oh. or Mission Impossible 6. <laughs> I mostly... Do you know how insane, insane it is to like say I want to be in my own helicopter scene so he, he took like six months and learned how to fly a fucking helicopter I know he should I know he can never die but celebrities need to stay away from aircraft of any kind it's, it's, a, it's a mistake <laughs> it's a big mistake he, he, he's I think he's like a true believer like Scientology like definitely not ironic um, <laughs> anyway that's my Tom Cruise theory <laughs> Uh, so we come back from commercial and uh, Homer's driving around the kids and we get uh, uh, this butt lumber joke is one of my favorites mm-hmm. in the episode. Oh, yeah. Doesn't this car have seatbelts? Seatbelts. <laughs> they kill more people than they save. That's not true. You're thinking of airbags. There it is. Gee, that picture makes your butt look big. I thought so, too. But they said it sells. <laughs> Works for the Lumber King. Lumber. We need lumber. Homer loves that lumber guy's butt. Yeah. <laughs> Did that lumber guy invent twerking? Uh, boy, twerking's out of fashion now, but uh, 18 months ago, you would have been number one. As Homer said before, lumber has so many uses. <laughs> they need to, you know, for all you uh, writers on the internet out there who do, did Simpsons invent this, did Simpsons invent twerking, there you go. Edit your bad it. articles now. And the Marge in there, they definitely do draw an extra sized butt on her. And I think she's also drawn to look, she looks a lot more like a season three mm. Simpson character with like bigger, cuter eyes, I think, too. Homer's thing about reckless driving and the airbags kill. Like when Lisa says, You're thinking of airbags, I believe at the time that was a, you know, urban legend. But yeah, uh, I actually I wanted to show off for our citations needed pal here. And uh, I did the research on this. You got and, your own uh, citations. Yeah. <laughs> Not needed. <laughs> Indeed. According to the Chicago Tribune, quote, these devices have been responsible for saving more than 1,800 lives since that time. And this was written uh, since that time being the 1991. Conversely, the Tribune reported that only 62 deaths can be attributed to airbags. And the majority of the individuals killed in those cases were not properly restrained with seatbelts. So thus, airbags do save more people than they kill. Yeah, a little bit of fa- a little bit of hashtag fake news there. <laughs> yeah, that that line from Homer was the very glib answer I would hear from people who didn't want to wear seatbelts yeah. growing up. Like, ah, oh, they kill more people than they save. And then you find yeah. out when, like, when you read like which celebrities die in car accidents, you find out like none of them were wearing seatbelts. <laughs> they could all be alive now. No, seatbelts are the ultimate no-brainer. Seatbelts have saved so many lives; you, like, we can't even calculate it. I can get it for, like, my dad hated wearing seatbelts. I think he often wouldn't. I guess I could understand for him that he didn't wear, he didn't wear seatbelts growing up, and so he just tells himself, I don't need them. 
But I I'm alive like, now, aren't I? I think if you're under 50, you've lived with seatbelts your entire life. So if they don't feel normal, I don't know why you would. Like, they're just like nothing to me now. If I put it on, it just feels like I'm sitting like nothing at all. Nothing well, at all. Henry and I are big shots. We take a lot of lifts. We get <laughs> driven around everywhere. And occasionally, uh, because lift cars go through a lot of use, you'll get into the back of a lift and the seatbelt won't fasten. Mm. Whenever that happens, I'm like, this is where I die. This is the <laughs> ride where Bob Mackey is dead. <laughs> and in a lift, that'd be embarrassing. Yeah. I want to die by my own hands, damn it. <laughs> Yeah, they drive off, and then uh, Marge starts her uh, attempts at selling. She goes to Moe's shack, which looks exactly like it did in the Critic crossover. Except so. his screen door has been upgraded to a real door, oh, so he got a better yeah. door. <laughs> and he is in financial distress. <laughs> yes, uh, well, maybe he's buying too many fancy car parts, you know? True. He's going into debt on that. Uh, and then, uh, meanwhile, Marge tries to sell some houses to some people who actually could afford them. And here we have a lovely gourmet kitchen with gas range, central can opener, and foam under flooring for enhanced standability. <laughs> Why isn't this kitchen horribly cramped? <laughs> Why, yes, it is. Well, I suppose we could get used to it. Yeah, but you shouldn't have to settle. You know, I've always loved the house you're in now. Really? Well, maybe we should stay put. Thanks for your honesty, Marge. My pleasure. If you ever need a prescription, no questions asked. <laughs> Good shot, Barbara. I can't believe it. A house with a bowling alley. You bowl often? Actually, this is our first time. I mean, I didn't really care for it. <laughs> oh. Well, then you have to ask yourself, is this the right house for you? I suppose not. I guess we were just captivated by this delightful plaque. <laughs> Does Barbara come back? Mel's a uh, very attractive wife. There's actually a deep history to Barbara Van Horn. Really? Um, well, so if you recall, uh, Krusty was once slapping Sideshow Mel and said, I told you to stay away from my sister. That's right, yeah. And uh, Barbara Van Horn, according to the wikis, they treat her as Krusty's sister. And I I think that's backed up by the coloring. Like, the, there's no reason for her to have Krusty's blue hair color unless it was... I don't think the writers thought of that, but I could see an animator actually giving a shit and be like, well, we did say he was with Krusty's sister. Treat Barbara Van Horn as, uh, as his wife, though she's never seen again, though uh, they will refer to Mel getting broken up with, but then Mel reconciling with his wife. So uh, he there is continued references to Melvin Van Horn's wife. But actually, I just found she makes one more appearance. She's mentioned outside of this oh. appearance, but she actually appears... In the season 25 episode, PayPal. Oh, okay. So you have to uh, wait a good, uh, what? 16 a, years. 16 years to see her again. <laughs> so I, I have a question. Um, you know, obviously, all are experts on The Simpsons. So obviously, they have this kind of increasing, growing, sprawling cast of like side, these side characters who become part of the show. That's the sort of main appeal of The Simpsons, obviously. Uh, to what extent do they like map that out? Is it like, it, it, or is it, they, 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 do they need a character for like a gag on the show? They, they introduce them and then that character becomes part of that universe, depending on the fan reaction? Or like, what is it, how thought, like, how thought out is that? Or do they do that? Like, how beforehand do they do that? I, I think with Gil, internally, they were like, we love Gil. We mm -hmm. love Dan's performance. Let's write more things for Gil. With Barbara, I think the joke is like, yes, Mel has a wife. She has a name. Here and she is. Hot. And she's hot. But if like, they're like, they're like the show Bible they created. Like, Oh, no. Like, yeah. If, if 
by season nine, that Bible has not been milked. Uh, mm. I, I'd be surprised. Right. Yeah, it, it's all very like a natural outgrowth. Really, it just goes. I don't think it's even much the animator. Well, animators get they draw some. If they draw a character well, then it makes them more attractive to come back to. But really, it seems like you can tell they write say Disco Stew the first time, and then a writer who gets a script like six weeks later thinks. Man, that Disco Stew guy's funny. I'll put him in it. And then they even kind of go like through Disco Stew Fever or like uh, there was a patch there where it felt like seven episodes in a row had a scene with Groundskeeper Willie, even though he wasn't integral to the plot. And Otto died after season three, pretty much, in terms of use. (laughs) He's pretty rarely used, Otto. Yeah, they they, they milk Groundskeeper Willie. Well, and speaking of characters and like Hibbert was always supposed to be the sober, good doctor. And here he is really giving free scripts out, offering them up to, to Mark. <laughs> that used to be a Dr. Nick joke yeah. of him in medical school. <laughs> no, I don't know. Maybe this is just the, uh, the thing they've always dreamed of getting. I mean, of like they, if I could befriend a doctor, he'd give me free drugs. That kitchen is bigger than mine and there's an island. I'm into it. <laughs> You want that kitchen? My kitchen is a hallway with a stove in it. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a kitchenette. True, yeah. We both have kitchenettes. Uh, mine's a little bigger. Though. Yours is <laughs> twice as big as mine. That's very sad. <laughs> I'm showing off here. My big kitchenette. Then we come to Homer. He's driving around, and uh, Skinner is uh, is clearly driving his mom's car, since, as we know, he can't. Uh, he only aspires to car ownership. And uh, the de- his story of Debbie Sue... That sounds like something that happened to Armin Tamzarian, not to. It fits in with his background. Armin's background, right? Yeah. That's a a dark scene. (laughs) Yeah, that he's just reflecting on the death of his. uh, Well, I like that her name's. It's it's dark, but that seemingly his life was a uh, 50s song about Dead Man's Curve or whatever. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, wasn't that. um, I was out on a date in my daddy's cart, wasn't that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was 1964. Who was that? That was. um, Oh, boy. That's Very deep. far. Uh, anyway, and then uh, Pearl Jam covered it. Oh, I mean, being that girl that waved the handkerchief in the fifties was a dangerous job. <laughs> that wasn't. A, it was an important job, though. Yeah, somebody <laughs> had to signal the start of the drag race. That was oh. the thing people did. I, you know, I used to drag race in high school, and I, I actually there was a people in my yeah there was someone in my high school who was killed by a drag race. Damn. Wow. Mm. Boy. I got they're dangerous. I mean, not to be. I know I'm getting old and daddish, but <laughs> no, I I agree with I agree with Skinner too. They shouldn't be doing track races. Debbie Sue was right. He or Debbie Sue was wrong that it'll be fun. It's not fun. The streets are for regular driving, not fancy driving. <laughs> well, I, I remember when I when I saw Fast and the Furious one in the movie theaters when I was a senior in high school, mm. junior in high school. I came outside and there was people like doing some like little smoke wheels and trying to like race right in the parking lot. I, 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 I bet if you could calculate how many people that movie killed, it's gotta be like <laughs> at least a few, at least a few dozens more than cigarettes that year. It, it makes it look so much fucking fun. Like it's like my theory about back to the future, you know, like where he, 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 he rides in the back of a car and I'm like, how many people, if I, if I had some way of knowing this, if I was like God or whatever, and I could like ask like how many people are killed by back to the future, it's gotta be at least like 20. I know I've gone 88 miles per hour just to see what it would do in my no, car. I mean, the, the, the skateboard in the back of the oh, car. Oh, that too. Oh, the skitching. Uh, skitching. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that had to have killed. Like, when I was a kid, I was like, that's the coolest shit in the world. I can't wait to do this. <laughs> I think my brother tried it once and like scraped his I mean, That had to have like just murdered children. <laughs> children. It's cool until the car stops suddenly. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like there was this, like Hollywood's like, oh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like it's just a movie. And it's like, I don't know, man. Kids are really impressionable. <laughs> there are no friendly guys in Mountain Dew hats to pull you along gently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's like, you know, the, the car is just coasting at 15 miles an hour. It's no big deal. 
And uh, it also, this is a weird uh, feature of Springfield that the prison is in the middle of town. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's where most prisons are. They have county lockup in uh, Chicago right downtown. They have it in Baltimore, too. Mm-hmm. Actually, county, in my... County, uh, county lockups are typically in the middle, of, will be in the middle of the city. Yeah. Okay. In my beautiful hometown of Youngstown, Ohio, the prison is the largest, most prominent building. The Supermax <laughs> prison. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I love this country. <laughs> <laughs> that has to be the top employer in Youngstown. Oh, now, I think it's got to be now. Yeah. Mid, mid, the mid, the top employer in a lot of cities in the Midwest is the is the either a prison or a casino. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, this is uh, this is when Snake finds out about what happened to Little Bandit. Hey Skinner, want a drag race? My high school sweetheart was killed in a drag racing accident. Come on, it'll be fun. That's what Debbie Sue said. <laughs> And you, you bit, I get, get gone. Whoa, that's Lil Bandit, and she's in pain. Screw the honor system, my car needs me. Hey, you're ruining it for the rest of us. Stop, that's my car. That smells like regular. She needs premium, dude. Premium, dude. I love screaming, dude, to the heavens. Yeah, it's a fun. That's a nice exit there. They're continuing. The, 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 the honor system joke is fucking gold. That is. Yeah, <laughs> there is a really good state sketch about the honor system prison. Oh, really? Yes, it's worth looking I, up. I forget. Was the... it? Was it? It was before this, then, right? Oh, uh, yeah, it's probably like been... four or five years before. But it was like an entire bit about what it's like to be in the honor system prison. And the guy escapes <laughs> from prison and then comes back like years later after having a family. <laughs> it's Just very funny. Out, I wonder what Kearney did to get in prison. Yeah, <laughs> they're keeping up the jokes of him being an adult. Yes, yeah, <laughs> he's proved his adultivity. I was actually wondering that. I was like, do they do they have like mixed population? <laughs> oh no, he's uh, he is an adult. He's lived through the uh, the bicentennial. So yeah. at um, this point, Kearney is is read as an adult. Their their ages all ages are all static. Obviously. Mm. Until somebody says they're older, then but yes, otherwise nobody ages. Yeah, like what? What characters have aged? I mean, uh, the babies grow. Like actually, while Maggie didn't age at all, Apu's family will uh, Apu's wife will get pregnant and give birth to babies that then look to be about one year old. Like that's so there is time passing in yeah. that case. And Marge and Homer age as the writers of the show get older. Or at least they used to. So Marge. <laughs> In the first season, she's 34 years old. By the end of like the 10th season, I think Marge and Homer are both either 38 or 39. Like, mm. uh, home, they were 34, and then in season five, Homer says he's 36. And then by the time we get to season 11 or 12, Homer says 39. And he could be a little bit over that by now, but they keep like subtly aging him up up to a certain point in time. <laughs> so they're there's there's so the but obviously Lisa and Bart are stuck in this like perpetual hell where they never grow. Yeah, yes. it's mainly about writers being uncomfortable with the characters being way too young for them. <laughs> are they? I feel like they should at some point maybe I don't know let them age. Would they ever do that? Have they talked about that? They create, they have at this point done so many possible future episodes that that's right. where they kind of can get away with their here's the kids aging kind of thing. Those, they, those, those are not internally consistent, right? Those are, those are, they actually started to become, uh, they, they, 
about five or six years ago, they invented a future that they keep going back to, and it's right. the same. But before that, no. Not the Lisa's wedding future of nine years ago. Yes. <laughs> the Lisa wedding future, and then the is different from the Lisa becomes president future, which, of course, had the President Trump reference in it. Right. Well. So with the, the Lisa becomes president, I thought was like a, was it, was that a real flash, flash forward or was that an, I thought that was an imagination thing. That was a story told by it, uh, uh, well, technically Native American. It was Native American mystery. Yeah. Yeah. that brought it yeah, to life. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, wasn't that that wasn't really canonical, was it? No, I mean no. the cana- the canonicity of all of them is kind of uh, out there. Uh, okay, fair enough. I just I thought there were sort of degrees of of of, of canonicity. And I guess Lisa's wedding was a psychic vision. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> Which uh, not technically a flash forward, not to come on your show and explain to you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I like a snake's design really feels season two to me. I didn't, I never really noticed until this time how out of place his giant hoop earring is. Like oh, yeah, you're by right. season nine, they'd never design a character with a, with such an affectation on him, but they, he's very fixed in time. Yes. After Homer drives away. Oh yeah. Unleaded versus premium. Like I, when I did own a car, I only ever put unleaded in it. Like, I don't, what's the difference really, right? Gearheads, tell me out there in the listenership. Why Why should I spend the extra like 20 cents a gallon on premium? I'm sure we're going to get, this just got us 30 comments yes, about it. Yeah. You moron. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meanwhile, we go back to the office and uh, this is, I think this is my line of the episode, Hutz's uh, description of the truth here. Do you agree, Bob? I like it, yeah. yeah the reading yeah. is great. Yeah, so let's let's give it the official line of the episode jingle. That's the joke. Marge, I had a lot of calls about you. Customers love your no-pressure approach. Well, like we say, the right house for the right person. Listen, it's time I let you in on a little secret, Marge. The right house is the house that's for sale. The right person is anyone. But all I did was tell the truth. Of course you did. But there's the truth and the truth. Let me show you. It's awfully small. I'd say it's awfully cozy. That's dilapidated. Rustic. That house is on fire. Motivated seller. (laughs) That's a beauty. Forget about that house. That's the murder house. Oh, I remember. Mrs. Astor was very lucky. Well, no one expects you to sell that house. But you better sell something. Because cubicles are for closers, Marge. Anybody who doesn't sell a house their first week gets fired. I probably should have mentioned that earlier. <laughs> so one of my very first uh, well-paying professional writing jobs, so not writing about video games. Certainly. Um, I was a writer for the real estate magazine Christie's Great Estates for mm. a summer ah. in 2010. And we learned all of the adjectives. Of course, none of the houses were on fire. All of the houses were like multi-million dollar houses that we would never set foot in for research. It was like, <laughs> here are pictures. Write about these granite countertops. How do you think they feel? And everything like that. <laughs> but we were given like lists of adjectives. Don't use these. Use these. Very much like, it's not this. It's this. Mm. But they were all glorious, glamorous homes owned by famous people <laughs> formerly. So. You don't have to use much lying there, I guess. Yeah. Then, right. But wow. Uh, yeah. You, you really got the truth and the truth yeah. message there. I understood the truth. <laughs> and the truth. <laughs> uh, that's the first time Lionel Hutz has been like sinister. He 
he's quite yeah, yeah. he becomes Alec Baldwin for one line, but it's I it's got to be hard to sell a house in one week, I would think. That that seems like a difficult rite of passage for people at that office. I, I think we're going to get a lot of comments about the the process of buying a house. I'm interested in that because it's mm. something I don't think will ever happen with me. <laughs> uh this also reminds me of my at my job at my when I entered into the office business world, uh just the moment of like the scales falling off my eyes like, "Oh, this is what business is. It's not about doing your best or it's not it's what I thought my job was was not my job." Like that that feels like the kind of, you know, dose of poison that March is being fed here too. This is what taught me that cozy is the is a bullshit term and nothing it's nothing cozy, is cozy. Yeah. <laughs> Once well, that Mrs. Astor thing, uh I didn't know this until I looked it up. The uh, that is a reference to the Titanic. Really? That uh, the apparently it is a, a this was a very Harvardy joke, but the famous New York Times headline about the Titanic uh wreck it in it it says uh, status of Miss Astor unknown in it. Oh, okay. And so it it really stands out when you're like, well, you want to know how many people are dead, and you don't know who Miss Astor is, but for some reason there she is in the headline of the New York Times a hundred and plus years later. Uh, so this is their callback to it of like in in this case, the Springfield Shopper lets people know Mrs. Astor is okay. Okay. It's it's a very like uh, very nerdy weird I, joke. I had no idea about that. And this is pre-Titanic too so hmm. well, actually just barely pre-Titanic but they were writing it far before oh, the movie's yes, released yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we go to the dinner scene and that is where kind of I guess a little bit the the, the feminist message come in here of just like the whole family misunderstands Marge and just treats her like no you're yeah you're just a wussy mom like you can't do this job though I mean it is a very uh, naive thing that she says like but lying I just don't know <laughs> Uh, so Marge has to sell a house and she has the perfect people in the Flanderses, which I think they don't even make enough out of that the Flanders are wanting to buy a new home. Like that they've decided to move away is kind of a big move for the show. Upon first watching this uh, 22 years ago, I assumed that, oh no, are the Flanders actually moving? Will there be more stories about them and their new neighbors? I, I really didn't know. I should have been more savvy about this, but I didn't. I wasn't. Uh, but uh, this actually, this is another line of the episode here where Marge yeah. is showing off some homes. The first house I have to show you is um, a handyman's dream. Because it's so dilapidated. Well, nothing's perfect. I sure hate to make you come out here and not buy a house. <laughs> now slow down, Nettie. The home buyer's course said always look inside the house before buying. <laughs> well, there it is. Please don't tell anyone how I live. <laughs> uh, that could be that could be like tied for line of the show. Yeah, don't play the jingle again. But yeah. that's uh, a lasting meme from this episode about anyone's living situation. If you're uh, ashamed of how you're living mm-hmm. or feel pressure to live better, that is one thing you say. They really they really dump on these like peripheral characters for being like, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we just we just we just had Mo. Uh, we saw how uh, Millhouse's father lived. Like they do these gags where like people like these sad like individual bachelors are just like hanging on by a thread. There are a lot of sad single men in the Simpsons world. And yes. uh, previously we've seen Lenny in a I wouldn't say an, uh, an extravagant house, but an OK house. When he's hosting the poker night in Secrets of a Successful Marriage, 
it's not a bad house, but I think we've all as single as single men have had the please don't tell anyone how I live. Oh yeah, thing. no, totally. I I'd it, like it, to. It's, it's usually way way messier and less sparse though. Yes, yeah. It's it should be more like piles of garbage or just yeah. like uh, it books. Be like, it should be like sad little like fast food bags. <laughs> oh yes, he can't afford fast food. He's eating beans out of the can. <laughs> That's true. There's there's different there's different genres of like washed upness. Uh, and well, it's easy to put on a front at the office or whatever to pretend you right. you live like an adult but if one of your friends from work comes home you do have to kind of like ask them to uh to a blood pact of like please don't don't tell anyone <laughs> yeah. how this is i do enjoy the home buyers course is very rudimentary it's just like look inside the house first <laughs> and ned uh i like the characteristic of ned uh being too nice instead of being too christian he's like we came all the way out here let's buy the house <laughs> yeah he's like, oh, we hate to t- make you go all this way so when you know later that Ned knows all about the jealous jockey murders. It's interesting that he doesn't recognize the house on first vision, even mm. though he knows everything about it later, but does not recognize the house when they get there. I will say, Henry, that uh, they probably went to great lengths to disguise the house as true nature. Mm. And oh, also, I, I could tell you a lot about the John Wayne Gacy uh, murders. Oh. I don't know what his house looks like. Oh, uh, that's tr- okay. Or what the crawl space looks like. That's true. <laughs> it probably just looks like a house. Like yeah, it's, uh, like a Midwest and boring house <laughs> as as marge is showing them around she knows the truth and uh this get these jokes here as marge is lying to him get a little grisly i gotta say I enjoy these it. are very dark oh my diddly eye will you look at this place <gasps> and the price has been slashed repeatedly hmm. it's sure built solid the kids could scream bloody murder and no one would hear well i'm just gonna spill my guts i love it to death i'm gonna give you a deposit this minute Unless you can give me a reason not to. Is there anything else we should know, Marge? There's the truth and the truth. No! No! <laughs> if you don't sell a house, you're fired. 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 No! Well, Marge? No. There is absolutely nothing else to tell you about this house. That's good enough for me. Purple drapes. All my life I've wanted purple drapes. <laughs> I do. They got a ringer in for that scream. Who knows who's doing that scream? Mm, yeah, it's a it's a quality scream. Yeah. Uh, well, it's and it's a callback to that uh, the running gag that Ned has the voice of a woman when he wants to. Yeah. I mean, my perspective is, as a weirdo, uh, if it's a good deal on a house, you could just have a million murders have taken place there. I don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> I would think people have died everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean... My apartment building is, like, over 100 years old. Mm. There has had to be at least, like, 14 murders and 23 suicides <laughs> in that time period alone. There are... I think there are laws... I was actually wondering when I was watching this episode. I think... I think correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's laws that you have to disclose if something material like that happens. Not mm. because it'll necessarily affect the house or it's haunted or anything like that. But because like if I buy a house that there's a grizzly murder and I don't know that, and then I turn around and try to sell it five years from now, you know, I have heard that. I have heard that where it's a problem for other people. Yeah. I think, I think like anything that's sort of material has to be disclosed. It's fraud. I, th- I think grizzly grizzly murders are probably up there. <laughs> I like, I like the acting on Marge of her stifling the truth. She's like, no, no, there's not like, and, and in the scenes before this, when she's like, uh, it's a real, uh, it's really cozy. Because it's so cramped, like she can't not say it, but this time she can finally 
keep it in. It's her selling out finally. And these are such ridiculously funny lines of just saying like, I think it's green bloody murder or slash repeatedly. And they'll get even sillier as they go. The, uh, and I double checked this on Frankie act, but yes, his scream, even the posing on it is the exact posing they use for Bart of darkness. Okay. That's great. I like that. They kept that the same way. It's just framed tighter on Bart of darkness. So, and I mean, it's just a very funny emotive scream to like just the little horror, his arms up to his face. It's funny. He loves purple drapes. <laughs> he just, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Uh, and yeah, so when they sell the murder house, uh, this is again another just great scene of Red Red Blazer Realty. Uh, it has one of my favorite like um, just mumble background noise lines ever. Too. Oh, me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Attention! <clears throat> ding, 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 ding. Listen up, everybody. Marge Simpson sold her first house. Oh, oh God. Yeah, the murder house. Whoa, wow, now oh that's something. Booyah! Wow, you must have told a whopper to unload that death trap. And what'd you use, Marge, huh? The old buff and bluff, the Hail Murray, the Susquehanna shuffle, huh? 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 <laughs> no, no, no tricks. It was salesmanship, that's all. Sure, Marge, salesmanship. But it was. <laughs> sure, Marge, was. Look, just because everyone who lived in that house was hacked to bits doesn't mean the Flanders will be. Yeah, I yeah, guess you're not, right. But... Who cares? Well, whatever <laughs> happens, as our newest closer, you're entitled to wear the coveted closing blazer. And you get a third wall for your cubicle. But I earned that wall. Don't push your luck, pal. You're hanging on by a thread. <laughs> I brought this wall from home. <laughs> that guy in the that guy in the audience is right. He just points out there are no stakes. Like yeah. I guess you're right. Who cares? <laughs> like Marge has a very good point. You obviously can't hear it, but there's uh for those listening, there's a they drop Gil's family pictures off the wall. Yeah, that's right. He's just <laughs> shaking so them off. Such, yeah, which is such a funny visual gag because it's so heartless. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that that was like the sort of prime Simpsons joke was when they were like really when people were really cruel to other people. <laughs> and they were sort of just really glib about it. So he got that wall from home. Yeah. He brought in his own wall. He's down. He's been down to one raw wall already if he hadn't brought one from home. He's that close to it. Though, now, you know, that's a... Oh God, every office is, feels like an open layout office. You just have no no privacy. God, I would kill for those three walls. Living in the Panopticon. Just where anybody can bother you at any time and, and with micromanagement. But, the, uh, but the, yeah, and Marge's double blazer. I love her wearing two blazers. Blazers at once, uh, victoriously. So now we get to quite a scene in Simpsons history here. Yes. This is kind of my line of the show, but it makes no sense outside of the context, outside of what happens next. So it really can't qualify for line of the show. There's a lot of great lines in this one, though. I uh, So in a very Looney Tunes layout, right with the Acme box even, and the do-do-do-do-do uh, Yeah, piano. a little tiptoeing. Yeah, it's uh, a piano wire is stretched out across a tree, and uh, some hijinks ensue. <laughs> okay, Baldy Boy hits wire, head comes off, Lil Bandit rolls to a gentle stop. Everybody wins. Man, the air feels good on my neck. Why do I even bother? I told that idiot to slice my sandwich. Ow! <laughs> 
I I love that joke. joke every time. That's a dark joke. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I like Kirk setting up his own joke too. Mm-hmm. But then they but then they then they go back and they uh and they fix it at the end. He's fine. It was a play, it was a pretty clean cut. You're not you're not you're not too worried because his arm comes back. <laughs> yes. I mean they if they had never shown it again and he was fine the next episode, I probably as a viewer would have just accepted it. I'm glad that they have a shot at the end of the episode to show that he's yeah. fine. And that well, just took a little bandage. Yes. Yeah. I mean, arms can be reattached, but not that easily. It was a very shocking joke for the show in nineteen ninety seven we're in. Yeah. yeah. Like, wow, I did they went there. In previous years, they would have done the joke of it slicing. That setup is perfect of like, he, it could easily just cut the sandwich. And he's like, oh, nice. Like, but his arm is sliced off. You see yeah. the bone through his sweatered arm. They, they've killed uh, Hans Mullman enough. It's time to kill Kirk Van Houten. <laughs> but, oh, but God, yes. The setup, the setup of like, I told him to slice my sandwich. Ow. Well, even, and it's, it's a ridiculously planned out joke too, because that wire, do, nobody's head goes above your car windshield. So, like, the piano wire isn't going to cut the front of your car. So, the your head has to be above the car windshield, which <laughs> nobody drives that way. Uh, the Flanders move out. Homer being incredibly uh, mean to Ned for what he thinks is the last time. I'm not even bothering to try. And the family leaves, and they there's no reason for Ned to describe them as about to rest in peace. That's yeah. Just, uh, just fun, ridiculousness. Uh, this is written by Dan Grady, who loves a very arched line and silliness there. The arm getting cut off, it was a George Meyer gag. That though. sounds like one. They uh, they describe it on the commentary of like another George Meyer one that they're like, but we can't put that in the show, can we? And then or they did it. can like, we? Yeah. Yes, they can. <laughs> Actually, Homer reflecting on the old Flanders place is pretty funny, too. He's just like, oh, that old Flanders place gives me the creeps. The second they're gone, he is he's afraid of it. Uh, so Homer's cruising around in his car and he is uh, singing Luca, which uh, is the 1987 Suzanne Vega hits. It's about an abused child. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that Homer is, that's his fun joyride song. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And did you know in 2014 Vega did a sequel song to that? No. It's called a Song of the Stoic, and it's about Luca as an adult is now as things a, turned out okay, right? Uh yeah, he's a survivor of abuse, but okay. uh he's 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 doing okay. Yeah, it's uh listen, if you want to hear the rest of the life of Luca, listen there. Like uh Vega, she told it, it was just her man like she saw a kid uh who didn't show signs of abuse as a uh but just walking down the street. She's like, you know what, what if what if that child had a horrible life? And then and a hit song was written from there. And uh, I also, I'm, I'm impressed that Ned, the Leftorium must be doing really well that they have $10,000 sitting around for a down payment on a yeah. house. But uh, uh, Marge, Marge can't take it. Like, it's just driving her crazy. And uh, so she has she has to confess to Ned's family, which is when she gets, this is why this next scene starts with a scream, because seemingly they're all murdered already. <laughs> I guess we gave you quite a start. We were painting Todd's room red. Pretty messy work. And then we came out here to take a break. Must have dozed off. Red room. Red room. Over there. (laughs) Well, I'm just glad you're okay. (sighs) And I have something to tell you. Stop it! Let's hear that snap. It's an intense fight. It's uh, yeah, Homer, it's pretty violent. 
Homer, I'm not used to Homer punching somebody that much. Like with the inter- it's not it's not a comedy <laughs> fight, really, and an uncharacteristically violent episode. No, <laughs> yes. yeah, an arm is cut off, uh, necks are being snapped yeah. or attempted to be snapped. Yeah, Snake's plan is to break Homer's neck and I guess throw him onto the side of just dump him. Like it's it's quite it's uh Homer's a lot more like Popeye in this episode I'd say because like Homer has often been shown to be um so out of shape that running two steps makes him be winded but in this one he uh he can have like a a brutal fight for like 10 minutes straight it's really yeah, great animation it, this seems like a a little bit of a of an escalation in their sort of a devolution in their sort of they got more and more goofy right mm. like they sort of they, they got the gags got less character based and more about like getting a laugh because this isn't really like a homer bit really <laughs> It's, it's sort of absurdist. Well, it's like an episode of Mannix or something. Yeah, there. with well, all the with the music it's, it's too. A, it's, it's a Family Guy gag, right? Like, mm. I mean, of course, of course, they did it much later. But <laughs> oh yeah, actually, this is uh, not unlike a chicken fight from Family Guy. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's yeah. true. And uh, well, it's a great little animation gig thing too of the his shoe flying off so it can land on the gas just so they're dr- driving as well the the entire time they're fighting. And also, just God, his the way he holds his face and is punching him and the the way snake goes like it's, yeah. it, it it is brutal it's just like realistically yeah. observed violence it's not like a comedy punch or whatever no it's not <laughs> it's actually quite it's pretty brutal yeah it's pretty brutal uh but the home but the flanders find out what the murder house is and uh, their reaction is uncharacteristic for them uh in a funny way this is the murder house oh <gasps> you mean the infamous jealous jackie murders mm-hmm of course. This must be where he dropped the dagger. And this is the butler's pantry where Mrs. Astor concealed herself. And right here is where they found the torso heap in front of our very own fireplace. <laughs> oh, just think, Nettie. We're part of Springfield history. Look, Daddy. I'm the jealous jockey. I'm a torso. I'm glad you're not mad. But I lied to you. And I won't feel right until I return your deposit. We appreciate the offer, Marge, but... I think we're going to be very happy here. It's a great stunt. Yeah, well, that it's they open the door. It's it's so great when the A and B plots run directly into each Literally other. Literally collide, yeah. And and when they open the door, Homer is standing on his on the on the front of the car, kneeing Snake in the face. It's so <laughs> r- ridiculous. Like I, I mean, Ned is like twenty years ahead of the true crime phase. It's I, sweeping the nation. I mean, people love true crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. Right now, Ted Bundy is breaking hearts on Netflix. That Ugh. hunkerama. I don't know why people say that. He's not a hunk. I mean, he's he's more attractive than a normal man, I yes. suppose. But uh, if you like uh, Republican businessmen who kill women with logs, you'll love Ted Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they 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 do a good job feathering the plots there. Although it's um, I don't know, it, it seems a little goofy to me, especially because they already wrecked a house like five minutes earlier. <laughs> um, oh yeah, they yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I guess they needed a, a payoff there. They needed to kind of connect to because otherwise this, the Homer the Homer plot is a little a little thin. It's a, it's goofy. Yeah. There's, no, there's no there's no escalation. It's more of a sketch than a plot. Well, meanwhile the Flanders have to move back. Like they can't actually live away from the Simpsons. Well, so. right, exactly. Everything ha- more or less everything has to come back to where it starts. It's like the first rule of television writing, <laughs> uh, or rather I should say sitcom writing. Unless they kill off, you know. Flanders' wife, but um, <laughs> we're two years away from that. 
Am I not allowed to give that away? No. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Spoilers. Uh, no, but I, People that, have that heard was a rare example that. where things didn't go back to where they were, is what yes, I'm saying. Like, yeah. That was, everyone assumed there would be some gag where she came back, and I was like, wait. It's not too late. They, they could it's still true. do it. The uh, you know, yeah, Modern Day Simpsons script pitch, the Flanders started true crime podcast. I, I'd be up for that. I, you know, it's, uh, it is weird to see how much like true crime. I, I have met uh, my sister-in-law or stepsister-in-law well, whatever my the daughter the daughter of my stepfather a relative she, a relative she is so into true crime stuff she went to crime con she went to the, oh, wow. the real crime con like it's uh you know Wait, they, what's crime con it it is a true it's a true crime convention true like crime convention are you how old is this uh i don't know how long it's been around but how, think, I, how do i not know about this <laughs> i mean i uh i love true crime i love true crime podcasts but it's something i don't like to talk about unless i know someone mm-hmm. is into it as well because if you're at a party you'll be like this reminds me of a true crime thing but i can't say it <laughs> it, seems, it seems a little glib though right Mm. Um, you know, you know what's funny about all like the sort of true crime shows is that like whatever they do, they did this for they did this for both serial and also like making a murder where like the first one is sort of very like sober and like analytical and like rich and like really tries to get into the weeds of the evidence and does a lot of like, ori- like original research and those become hits and then like whatever their update is is always like very tabloidy and sensationalist and like <laughs> you know very tawdry like it's a, it's like you start to feel dirty watching it you know like like the second making of a murder was just like super gross and like not very thoughtful and like they had a lot of sensationalist blood splatter like stuff that didn't really you know what i mean yeah i was like funny like because the first one's like inspired and journalistic and then after that it's so they just fucking print money and there's so much pressure to make a second one that they just become like they just become super tawdry once a documentary like that is a hit and there's the demand for a second season oh, yeah you don't have the there's, there's no, only so much there's only so much meat on the bone you yeah. know like, there's only so much like true crime shit you can get out of one crime like, yeah not- when collecting new evidence and interviews that takes the kind of time you don't have to produce a second season of yeah something. there's a there's a lot of red herrings and you know and you and you, you take five seconds you can google and see the guys the asshole you know the poor guy's still in jail <laughs> so it's like it's not like there's any great reveal at the end you know, you could just go on the uh, Wisconsin State, you know, criminal registry and see that he's still there. It's not like there's <laughs> now the true the yeah the true crime stuff. I've enjoyed. I've en- I'm not a junkie of it, but I've I've enjoyed some of it. I can get the appeal, but it is interesting that like uh, there's it is uh, it is a true joke that uh, podcasting is a very male uh, thing. <laughs> but the most uh, I've seen so many, especially women fans of true crime podcasts. I think it has. A, uh, a larger uh, de- demographically than other genres of podcasts. Yeah, I, I know that the dem- the demographics of of crime shows skew female like that. Like like your Law and Orders, I think they're probably like I think something like sixty forty. Mm-hmm. Wow, women to men. I inherited a love of Law and Order. I mean, they're they're junk, and I. I I stopped watching. Uh, I'll watch a vanilla Law and Order, but SVU is so exploitative. Of for some reason, when it's oh, a, I can't watch SVU. It's it, that's it's too it's too sleet. It's too uh, it's too tabloidy. It's yeah. Like, it's nothing but salacious. Like there comes a certain point where you're like, all right, this is just gross. Like it's all, it, it's a very fine line between like interesting crime drama and like just pure voyeurism into people suffering. And mm. I don't quite know where that line is, but I got to imagine that line's crossed when you go to crime con. Which is, you know, <laughs> you know, so, 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 someone made a really interesting point once where they were, it was like a murder victims family advocacy group that was talking about the ways media depicts murder in a really like glib way and she was like you know we have a we have this visceral you know protection of certain crimes and and justifiably 
but you know, you wouldn't go to the, you know, you wouldn't go to the dinner theater and watch a rape mystery. Yeah, um, that's true. And I was like, you know, and of course we're glib about rapes, rape in other ways, you know, it's used as a punchline. It's, it's sort of deprioritized from a sort of, you know, because of the gender politics, but it's, it's true that we're like, we're very glib about murder in a way that's like, doesn't apply to other crimes. And I think the reason why that probably is, is because the person who has the high, who has standing is by definition dead. But I don't know. I thought that was an interesting point. Like with all the sort of crime, true crime stuff. And, and it sort of crosses the line from like journalistic to really just kind of being salacious I, yeah. I think that i think that was an interesting point i hadn't thought of that, that is, i mean uh it's true it's a fact that we won't we won't all be murdered but mm-hmm. we will all be dead at some point so maybe mm-hmm. it's a way of distancing ourselves from that well but the 90s also had this uh thing that i i really look back on is, is just so ugly and i this uh the comic book sandman actually the vertigo comic made a commentary on it too was just after silence of the lambs it became like the oh the interesting murderer these people who kill people these oh, yeah. serial killers every every, so every, every every serial killer was like listening to classical music and like yeah. harvard educated yeah it's just like no they're somebody who like has brain damage or was molested as a kid or, or just, just an internet weirdo yeah they're just they're not interesting people they're not urban yeah like the serial killers suck like yeah we we love we loved the sort of classy killer yeah that's about one percent of the cases and they always want them to be classy or like handsome or suave but yeah usually they're just creeps usually like it's like btk he's like he looks like milton from the office (laughs) yeah (laughs) over office space you know what the office space sorry i will i will say this about btk his he had the official serial killer glasses and he was ahead of his time because now everyone in fucking brooklyn wears those glasses oh man (laughs) trying to be as cool as btk i don't think so there was a hipster like wore them in like 2011 or whatever and I used to uh, a bartender I worked with and always call him BTK <laughs> um, uh, when the house collapses I really do like the animation on it it looks very realistic you hit the center of it and then it kind of collapses into itself in the uh, sound editing on that actually. yeah the, the, the sound mixing and sound editing on that scene is very good. <laughs> and uh, I like, too, that they have to, they have a very, another very reality-breaking joke of everyone's fine except for Snake. They yeah. all, no one is hurt in this house collapse. Homer's body should have just exploded on impact. <laughs> he was on the front of it. Like, there's nothing that would have protected him. And just him landing on bubble wrap, like, that is them, the, as the expression goes, hanging a lantern on how obvious it is he should be dead. But I do like, you know, Snake has tried to murder homer so there should be a uh there should be some you know karmic um payback for that so i do like how snake is giving a non-clever out of the scene it's just like i'm badly hurt <laughs> that's all he gets to say it's not even clever or like a joke yeah. on what happened it's just like he's stating that he's hurt badly <laughs> i mean he really is he's uh he'll be fine the next time we see him just like kirk van houten here's the last uh, uh sad here but this is the final spoken dialogue by lionel hutz ever in the show so listeners savor it here and it's a it as as last scenes go, this is a funny one of him somehow becoming a lethal weapon style police <laughs> yeah. chief uh, dressing down Marge. It's pretty funny. Oh, yeah. That's a weird gag. <laughs> oh, oh uh, wow. Oh. Lucky thing we landed on this bubble wrap. Hey, quit hogging. Oh, I'm badly hurt. A smashed hot rod, a wrecked police cruiser, a destroyed house. I've had it with your renegade ways, Simpson. You're a loose cannon. But I... And what really fries me is you returned his check. I'm sorry, Mr. (laughs) Hutz, but I just can't lie to people. (laughs) You're one of a kind, Marge. And nobody deserves this more than you. Hmm. 
Uh, and a fire jacket that's also pretty mean. The, his whole, the animation on his entire rant is great, especially his kind of uh, angry shaking his fist to this guy, like, returned his check. He's got to do the Lionel Hutz, I'm trying to sell you something voice and also be mad at the same time. It's a good performance. <laughs> yeah. I was I was just thinking that we're listening to that, that like watching it without visuals and just audio. God, just Phil Hartman was so good. Yeah. I mean, he was just, su- there's such great comic timing and he just, his voice is there. He nails every line. Like, I don't, man, it's just, God, what a shame. <sighs> yes. Yeah. It's, uh, well, you, we all took him for granted then. Like, as... and you go back, yeah, you go back and you watch the nineties SNLs and it's like, he carries every sketch he's in. Like there wasn't, they weren't that funny, but he makes them funny. <laughs> he was like, called God. the, the glue, correct? Yes. Yeah. Oh, is that what he was? Yeah. That yeah. was his nickname he, internally. Like, held together every scene. Like you put him in there and the scene will stand. <laughs> yeah. He was somebody you just underappreciated when he was alive because he's just like, Hey, he's in everything like his. And he also was a very, uh, he felt, it seemed like he was a very giving comedic performer too. Like, like he's uh, a, a classic SNL scene from his era was the Matt Foley scene. Yeah, and he uh, plays the straight man. He's yeah. a straight man in it, and just like, okay, kids, like he's he has to introduce it. He is there, like he supports the reality of it far more than you know David Spade and Christine Applegate laughing, which yeah, I laugh, would do in that of, scene too. Bunch of fucking amateurs. Phil Hartman would never laugh. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And he didn't have any like uh, standout characters. There were a few characters he did play, mm-hmm. but there were not like Wayne and Garth or any of the ones right. that were, were like on t-shirts or whatever like the anal retentive chef is like one of the characters <laughs> I can think of and like an okay Bill Clinton impression he did yeah no he yeah it was a just good Bill Clinton impression but he yeah. always in every scene he was in he was overshadowed by the crazier like the like Dana Carvey or Chris Farley or Adam Sandler like he's but he was uh he was just amazing and same on this show like they the Simpsons used him as just an all-purpose guy it's I kind of wish they'd gone back to they that they hadn't stopped after season two or three of having Phil just voice like three characters an episode when he was the guest yeah yeah I miss those days too when he when he'd voice the uh Jimmy the Greeks and uh, lines or whatever or Homer's uh stockbroker or Evan Conover <laughs> yeah yeah it was that was I think the last time he voiced a character that wasn't Troy or uh Lionel. And uh, I mean, this character even could have just been a new character played by Phil Hartman, but making it Lionel Hutz, yeah, like in these deliveries that he still is being the Lionel Hutz voice while playing the the mean boss like he's his character wasn't invented to be a mean boss he was meant to be a shyster like he's, that's his character he's being asked to do a lot and he's doing it he's doing all of it <laughs> uh so we come to the end here and i'm especially interested for i'll play the scene first but i i am especially interested to hear uh adam's thoughts on this one well i'm proud of you mom you refused to compromise your integrity yeah you did the right thing eventually Still, it would have been nice to bring home at least one paycheck. Oh, you will, honey. You will. $300 for doing nothing? I feel like such a crook. Don't worry. Gets easier every week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I guess it's supposed to make it not a sort of right wing or anti poor joke because they have like George HW Bush taking the check, but I'm not quite sure. I enjoy the shot at Bush, but it is a very, uh, also unemployment is money that you earn. Not Mm. everyone gets it because not everyone has that benefit. 
Yeah, it's not even uh, not that it would matter if it wasn't, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it's insurance you pay. So it's your money, like you're not being a crook yeah. taking it. And that sentiment, I I fear that the you know this was coming around the same time as South Park was getting started, and so to have like a scene telling uh, telling the youngsters like, oh no, this is theft. Like you're ste- you're or you're a crook. You're not earning money by collecting unemployment. Yeah, and it's and it's not a funny joke. I mean, most right wing <laughs> jokes by definition are funny. People don't like to punch. People don't like to punch down. It's like human. <laughs> human nature but it's just it's not even funny it's like okay like there's a george hw bush cameo i don't know it seems kind of throwaway and lazy and like both sides ish. I, I mean i'm personally annoyed that presidents collect income after they're done being president like <laughs> they get enough money for speaking and they get private uh, security yeah, the rest I, of their I, lives i guess at this, i guess at this point george hw bush would have been on welfare would have been on uh, unemployment for seven years eight something years? like that so, yeah like six years six years, six years. I guess, it, yeah, I suppose the joke with Bush being the one there is that, one, that he still lives in Springfield, apparently. Yeah. But the second that such a conservative guy is would, a hypocrite. would be a hypocrite yeah. and collected for himself. Like, I guess that's the, the yeah. that feels like, know. yeah, the this both siding of it. Was uh, your citations needed episode on, uh, actually, duo episodes about, quote, welfare reform, unquote. It, it captures what was the spirit of the time in, like, 97. It was... It like it was a Clintonian thing to be against yeah. uh, social programs yeah, that, like this. There was this a too. general bipartisan consensus that people were 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 lazy, living a high on the hog. Yeah, I mean they. Yeah, there's a, there was a lot of that at the time. So, um, they, so they think, thankfully, our, our uh, you know supposed liberal party did everything to reinforce that, as did a lot of the liberal media. So I would think they weren't even thinking they were being conservative too much with this gag because that was what built like the Democrats were running yeah, on then that's too. Pro- that's probably true. It was more or less just like a lazy I don't know, pot <laughs> shot. I don't know. and uh yeah the this anti-social program gag now as an adult really just brings me down i don't like it yeah it uh and i would tell everybody to listen to another two of my favorite ever citations were the welfare reform episodes you guys did that was those were very very good why thank you yes that's <laughs> what welfare is a, is a is an interesting topic we're gonna try to do it again at some point excellent and uh, though there are there's at least some good little character gags in there of just that these are characters who were previously fired or unemployed yeah. in the series histories like larry burns is there <laughs> you've got larry burns you've got kirk van houten yeah who also got fired from the cracker factory george myers the writer of the simpsons but also who was fired from itchy and scratchy in the poochie episode and even lurleen is there in her um washed out drunken gutter uh, <laughs> look that she had in the monorail episodes oh, so. I, I think i missed her okay yeah so i like a good joke about the pause for a laugh at the end of a set 70s like cop show like that's at least a funny topper to it but yeah just the sentiment of the the negative feelings towards unemployment uh payment is uh i don't like where that's coming from yeah, i really don't it is stuck in the past it's a bummer to leave this episode on i i do have to i i i'm sorry to opine that listeners <laughs> So we've talked for a long time about Realty Bites. Any final thoughts? Adam. Overall solid episode. I don't, you know, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge to re- reference to measure it to other episodes. A lot of great Lionel Hutz gags. The truth and the truth is obviously classic <laughs> and a sort of good summation of how sales works. So I don't know. I think it was good. I would uh, I'd give it I'd give it an A minus. Interesting. The last thing I'll say is that the title is based on the movie Reality Bite, oh, which yes. is aged worse than that unemployment joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does not age well at all. I saw, I saw, I saw it a year, last year. It does not age well. Uh, I haven't seen it in forever. I mean, I would think now, as a child, when I saw it, I was like, oh, I want to be as cool as these people. And now I feel like I would hate every single person in it, I think. 
I think this is a really funny episode that goes to some extremes, like a lot of extremes. And uh, it's they're getting uh, dangerously close to the later season Simpson spirit of uh, the joke is that we didn't care to write something better. But this the impact of uh, of the extremeness of jokes like Kirk getting his arm cut off or like the blood and the screaming like it's I do like that. And there's just so many mimetic mo- meme worthy moments in here like uh, please don't know how I please don't tell anyone how I live like these these great moments and this is still a classic episode I think and uh, and it's a good it's a really good send off for Lionel as is it a great introduction to Gil who will be with us uh, quite a lot in the future very true so Adam thanks for joining us before we let you go can you tell us all about the great podcast citations needed where to find it and you guys have a patreon too you should tell us about uh, yeah it's called citations needed with an uh, s at the end of citations there's another citation needed which sucks don't go to that <laughs> I, unfortunately I spend a lot of my time explaining that although it's not as bad anymore I think SEO wise we're, we're pretty much the first one there so yeah um, yeah SEO dominance <laughs> mail. that's all that matters um, <laughs> it's, we, do, we do media criticism we do media analysis from the left uh, we go after what we view as being sort of centrist or liberal media of the right as well we try to approach things in an original way we try not to say things that people are already saying and we try to do it in a way that's that's sort of well researched and informative but um, doesn't waste your time uh, we try to keep it tight get in get out we view writing like a heist um, <laughs> it, goes fa- it goes fast as you can to get out so um, that's kind of the show it's uh you know, it's been going on for a year and a half now. Like I said, we're, we're approaching, we're on about episode 70. Um, you, can, you can find our, our Patreon at patreon.com uh, slash yeah, citations needed podcast. So it's got the black and gold logo. The Patreon itself has about, I think I've been saying 20 hours, but I actually think it's like 15. I think I actually misspoke. It's about 15, 15 to 20 hours of like Patreon only content, but the show itself is, is, is free. We have all the, the episode itself. We just do uh, some, some extra stuff for the, for the Patreons. Yeah. I think uh, people have described it as on the media, if it was good, um, <laughs> which uh, I, I take as a compliment. Um, we try to be a little bit more, a little bit more uh, direct in our, our point of view. And, and I think people can sort of appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, even if they, even if they don't necessarily always agree, uh, they know that we're coming coming at it from a point of view where we're trying to be as honest as we can. Another another of my favorites of a compliment. One more of them was the Jake Tapper one, and uh, about the Jake Tappers of the world. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but especially uh, Jake Tapper. It was only after your episode I I found out that Jake Tapper draws a cartoon each week and makes people animated for him, like. Pol- political funnies and they're they are so painfully unfunny <laughs> i can't believe he makes people animate this like shit like that that is a mental problem there. <laughs> yeah deeper sort of a, a a good example of kind of what we go after which is sort of your your kind of vacuous serious m- middleman <laughs> um you know someone who he sort of goes after trump but for the most facile things like trump doesn't mention John McCain while signing a defense bill. Hmm. You know, the, the, the biggest defense bill in history, up 20% since 2016, $70 billion more than it was just two years ago. You could, by the way, pay for the entirety of all public education with that money, m- missiles, weapon systems, selling uh, weapons to all sorts of, th- you know, despotic regimes, all these sort of important angles that Jake <laughs> Tapper can take on it. But what does he choose to do? He chooses to highlight the fact that he didn't mention John McCain. And then he apologizes to John McCain oh. on air 
and then he oh. says, and then he says, and on behalf of everyone at CNN, I'd like to thank you, Senator McCain, for your service. I mean, this is sort of quintessential Jay Tapper, right? You sort of take the most vapid right-wing criticism of Trump you can possibly come up with, and it usually involves some sort of military worship or, <laughs> uh, or or some sort of national security orthodoxy, because it's sort of the safe, cheap, and easy way mm-hmm. uh, to kind of build one's career, right? You sort of everyone loves the troops, right? And so that's who he is, and he sucks, and that's what he should. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Adam. Yes, thanks a lot, Adam. You got it. So thanks again to Adam. Again, uh, his podcast is Citations Needed. It's great, uh, and we recommend it full-heartedly and wholeheartedly, too. <laughs> yes, yeah, we heartily endorse it. It's it's a really it's a really great politics podcast. If you liked all this politics, but uh, fun and about the media conversations we had here, then you're definitely going to love Citations needed and check out our podcast with nima shirazi with that springfield files yeah springfield files yeah. last season that was with his co-host was a lot of fun so to wrap up as for us we are part of the talking simpsons network if you want to help support the show and get a ton of bonus podcasts on top of that please go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons and for the incredibly low price of five dollars a month you'll get access to so many bonus podcasts exclusive series like talking futurama talking critic and the newly released talking of the hill where we're going through the entire entire first season of king of the hill and there will be a second exclusive mini series in 2019 that's for patreon only on top of that we've got interviews monthly community podcasts season wrap-ups so many bonuses if you sign up right now and you're new to the patreon you will have weeks and weeks and weeks of podcasts to catch up on if you like us talking you'll have so many hours of that available to you on the patreon if you're new but henry we have a newer ten dollar tier with a new podcast on it that's super long and great <laughs> that's right at the ten dollar a month level not only will you get all of our classic video content that we did you'll be able to watch me and bob do live video commentary on all the original simpson shorts for instance but as well you will get access to our monthly what a cartoon movie podcast where me and bob talk about a different animated feature film for up to three and a half hours like we just did with a goofy movie we go to town on a goofy movie it's one of our favorite movies it was as I've, it turns out i've just found that out yes and uh and not only that but we've also done the anime classics akira and kiki's delivery service and perhaps the best Batman movie ever made, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Those are only available for $10 and up, patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons subscribers. So please consider signing up at that today or upping your $5 pledge to the 10 Again, that is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. That's how we live. That's how we make more shows. We want to make even more shows for you, so please support us if you like us, and we'll give you a lot of stuff for your dollars. So as for mm-hmm. me, I have been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. Find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. My other podcast is Retronauts. That is a classic gaming podcast about old games. Every Monday, go to retronauts.com. Look for Retronauts in your podcast machine. Check it out. Download an episode about a topic you like and subscribe to it. I think you'll like it a lot. Henry, how about you? Hey, I'm Henry. Gilbert, and if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, that's H E N E R E Y G. Anytime there's new stuff coming out on the Patreon for Talking Simpsons, What a Cartoon, interviews, and any of the extra stuff we do, I tweet about it there, as well as my many political thoughts, too, if you like this politics talk here. Follow me on Twitter again, that's H E N E R E Y G. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time with the third Simpsons Christmas episode, Miracle on Evergreen Terrace. We'll see you then.
My name is Luca. I live on the second floor. Ah! Give me my car, fatty. Gosh! This is my car! And I'm not fat, it's glandular! Right. <laughs> 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 <laughs>